0: As noted, we would get a uh, Scott Steiner. Shoot. As noted, we get a. Is that playing, Yep. Okay. That's <laughs> starting to rise that. Got myself. <laughs> good thing I messed that first lineup.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days and not so good old days of World Championship Wrestling series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by Alec Pridgen, a man with just what he needs to be a champion podcast host. Lungs.
0: Uh, That definitely helps. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I heard from no less than Kurt Hennig that that's important in all careers.
0: So that's the perfect advice right Or it, sorry, it, legally not the perfect advice yes sorry. it's it's
1: the headache advice that thank you yeah
0: I mean, don't get the lawyers on us
1: it's always shocking that they never came up with like another descriptor for him
0: yeah <laughs> like they didn't try mr perfection see if they could get by with that
1: yeah one. mr ultimate or i guess that would have gotten him in trouble about the ultimate warrior Yeah, so it's like all the good adjectives are taken yeah <laughs> how's it going tonight al
0: good how's it going with you
1: uh, doing all right, uh, despite what we're about to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think I'm think i looking ahead to being done with this show because...
0: Well, and, and looking forward to next show, of course.
1: D- not so much, but looking yes. forward to the intervening time where we get to celebrate Christmas and have lots of things that make me actually glad to be alive, unlike Bash of the Beach 1999. Fair enough. Which is what we are discussing today, a tidal wave of trash-talking, body-slamming, tsunami fury. So yeah, not to spoil our thoughts on this show or anything, but it's quite appropriate that the tagline mentions a few natural disasters.
0: Yeah, we'll take the word talking out of trash talking, maybe. That might be good as well. (laughs) This is
1: also true. (laughs) Bash of the Beach 1999 was held on July 11th, 1999 at the National Car Rental Center in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, presumably so that anyone who wanted to flee could be assured of available transportation in front of 13,624 fans, 11,397 paid. The National Car Rental Center, now the Amaranth Bank Arena, has gone through quite a slew of names, including the Florida Live Arena, the BB&T Center, Bank Atlantic Center, and you'll like this one, Al, the Office Depot Center.
0: Hey, there you go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the La Parca Center.
1: That that would be the the best. But though that be that's presumably the parking structure next door.
0: Yeah, that's, there you go. Yeah, Parka. Yeah. Either yeah.
1: Yeah. that, or the winter clothing store.
0: Right. A lot of demand for those in Fort Lauderdale, for sure.
1: Definitely. (laughs) The center had actually opened less than a year prior, on October 3rd, 1998. It holds between 15,207 and 22,457 people, depending on the exact arrangement. While we don't have another WCW show to compare to here, we do have a couple WWE shows in the same arena. Okay. Armageddon 1999 and Armageddon 2002. 1999 got 17,054 attendees, making it pretty clear WCW missed the market, filling the available seats by a fair bit. Yeah. But WCW did at least trounce 2002's version, which is listed at only getting about 9,000 people in the then Office Depot Center. Oh, okay. Bash of the Beach 1999 earned about 155,000 pay-per-view buys, a drop of about 370,000 from last year's 525,000. Whoa! In fact, it is the lowest number for a Bash at the Beach so far, though the two Beach Blast shows had less buys, so there's that at least.
0: That's yeah, something, I guess.
1: Before the show, there was one dark match. C.G. Afi, later Tony Marinara and Tony Mamalouk, mm-hmm. and Jeremy Lopez beat Jamie Howard, later Jamie Noble, and Jet Jaguar.
0: Yeah, I looked that up. I was very disappointed to find just like some white guy.
1: Yeah, he's not dressed like the thing from the Godzilla franchise.
0: I got my hopes up so much.
1: According to cage match listings, by the way, this would be both Effie and Howard's first WCW match. Okay. The same for Lopez and Jaguar, but they don't go on to have WCW careers, though they are listed as having at least one more match each. Okay. I was also curious about Jet Jaguar, since he's named intentionally or not after a robot from the Godzilla franchise. Mm Mm-hmm. CageMatch had a section on his page warning, This text is hidden because it is only available in the German language. Please click this line if you do not care and want to view it anyway. Okay. I did so, of course, because I was very curious, and it informed me that the former Jaguar arbitite als Website Gestalter, which translates to Works as a Website Designer. Ah. Kind of seems like they could have taken the two and a half seconds necessary to translate that rather than having a warning up there, but that's just me. Yeah. Anyway, best of luck in your website design career, Jaguar. Mm -hmm. So, will I find more opportunities to butcher the German language on this show? To find out, let's go to the ring. WCW's terrible logo brings us in, and cuts to an opening video package featuring generic hard rock that is too long for the footage that they've chosen, so they just set up an extreme fast-forward loop of footage to close it out. Mm -hmm. Nice transition to the WCW Bash of the Beach title card, though. And this logo is one that the crappy late 90s, early 2000s WSW logo does kind of work with. They've got it positioned well, centered at the top of it, and it has similar, like, pointiness to it that the overall Bash of the Beach logo has this time. The video package covers, such as it does, the build-up to our main event, Kevin Nash and Sting versus Sid Vicious and the Macho Man Randy Savage. Host Tony Schiavone calls out the spaciousness of the National Car Rental Center Which probably isn't the best idea when you're far from filling it up. (laughs) Hey guys, we booked an arena that was too big! (laughs) Yes. He's joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan, just a two-man team tonight. Both are in good beach-themed shirts, and Heenan is wearing sunglasses indoors. Tony and Heenan build up the main event and note that if Nash is pinned by Savage, Vicious, or Sting, he loses the world title. Sting, it must be noted, is Nash's partner meaning that it is impossible for both him and Nash to be legal at the same time. Thus, no, Sting can't pin Nash to win the world title because Sting can't pin Nash.
0: Now, maybe if it was a false count anywhere match, you could go outside the ring and pin him while you're legal.
1: Yeah, or, or like Tornado Tag. Yeah. That, that, would, work that would, be how it would work. I mean, it'd still be nonsensical that you can pin your own partner, but at least you it would make sense how they yeah. could be in the ring together.
0: Right, exactly.
1: This is ironically a situation that would be aided by WSW's rules from what was it, Bash nineteen ninety five? Oh, the yeah. one where they had the tag teams they could tag even if they weren't on the same team. Yes, yeah. Tony also notes that Tanay is out in a junkyard. Heenan jokes he should be.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: Tanay is covering an unsanctioned match, Hardcore Hacks Junkyard Invitational. Heenan asks if Tony's been to a junkyard, and Tony says, "Of course he has." Heenan says he hasn't, and Rapid Fire repeatedly asked why Tony would ever go to a place like that, getting Tony to crack up as he tries to move the show along. <laughs> he really specializes in that tonight, he seems to make a game of it.
0: He's, yeah, he has fun with that for sure, yeah.
1: Tony manages to cover Piper versus Bagwell in a boxing match, refereed by Judge Mills Lane. Lane famously refereed Holyfield versus Tyson two on June 28, 1997, The Bite Fight. I'll be honest, I was not expecting to reference that multiple times in a single WWE series. Mm-hmm. Lane was also an actual courtroom judge, and had a courtroom TV show, Judge Mills Lane, from 1998 to 2001. Tony throws to Gene, who is also dressed for the beach today. It's a rare casual Gene. Yeah. He praises the crowd, despite some jerks shining a laser pointer at him, and shills the hotline, stating that there are people backstage that would have repercussions around the wrestling world one nine hundred nine o nine ninety nine hundred. He throws to Tanae at the junkyard. Tanae claims that we could tell from his attire that he intended to be in the arena. He's wearing the same suburban backyard barbecue outfit from last year, I believe. Yes. But his spies tipped him off about the location of the junkyard invitational, so he brought a camera crew out to film it. Text on screen hopefully notes that he's at the junkyard. Oh. Very specific. Behind, a car hood reads, happy birthday, Charlie. Tine covers WCW president Rick Flair banning hardcore matches. No word on if Vern Gagne and Lou broke into spontaneous applause. No doubt. He covers Hack and Jimmy Hart recruiting competitors for the Invitational, and suggests there may even be wrestlers not associated with WCW. Back to the arena, and it's time for our first match. So, our first match is Ernest the Cat Miller with Sonny Ono versus Disco Inferno in a special challenge match. Referee for this one is Randy Anderson.
0: It's the battle over dancing. Who is better? Who cares? On the Go Home Thunder, they introduced a stipulation amongst the competitors that whoever loses the match can no longer dance in WCW ever again. Don't get too excited because between shows, that being the end of Thunder and the beginning of this show, they said, actually, that, we don't want to do that. We don't agree to that stipulation. So if you wanted even lower stakes for Ernest Miller and Disco Inferno, you've got it, baby.
1: <laughs> it's, like, it's like anti-storytelling. Yes. <laughs> Cat has a very nice robe with leopard print lining. Speaking of the stipulation being removed, Tony implies Ono bribed the board of directors, then claims he wasn't trying to imply that, and then Heenan just outright says they're all on the take, and so is Heenan, nearly breaking Tony again. (laughs) That's twice now. Keep this up, guys, and I'll have at least one thing to entertain me. There you go. Cat gets a microphone and tells the crowd they make him sick, then accepts a you suck chant. He claims to be the greatest dancer in the world, and says if he had time, he'd beat up everyone in the crowd. He says they'll have a dance contest, and then he's going to whoop somebody. Disco comes out, and somehow he's the face?
0: Yeah. This is the year of people that shouldn't be faces being faces.
1: Yeah, Disco and then Buff Bagwell later on. You're like, what? Cat demands to cut Disco's music and offers Disco the chance to beat him at dancing. And apparently the match won't happen if Disco wins or something. Cat does some dancing to a James Brown-sounding backing track that's better than his entrance music. He's, he's okay. A little random, but the splits are nice, and it's fun watching him slide around the ring. He does a good job of, like, gliding.
0: Yeah, it's not quite moonwalking, but it's a similar feel where, yeah, he's not taking full steps, so his body's sort of sliding, yeah.
1: He gets booed, of course, as Tony notes that his routine was good, but he lost the crowd with his insults. Disco is next, and he tells Cat to watch how it's done, then does his basic disco points and gets cheered. Cat charges, but Disco ducks and lands kicks and punches, and we're off. Disco stomps on Cat's cap and continues attacking, and Cat retreats outside for comfort from Ono. Cat says he's going to have to register his hands and he's going to whoop somebody. Anyone in particular, Cat? Maybe your opponent? Can they have a
0: like, stipulation wherever loses doesn't talk anymore? That'd be great. <laughs> Save us a lot of time.
1: Back in, Disco lands punches and atomic drops and earns two with a clothesline, but Cat throws him out for Ono to land his excellent kicks, while Cat distracts the ref. Cat and Disco send each other to the barricades. Back in, Cat slugs Disco in the crotch, and they trade two counts with a Disco Sunset Flip, Cat Sidekick, Disco Knee Drop, Disco Russian Leg Sweep, Cat Sidekick, and Cat Sidekick. There's a lot of those.
0: Say, so there an echo in here?
1: <laughs> Cat rakes Disco's eyes and goes for his shoe as Ono distracts the ref, but Disco stomps his foot, steals the shoe, and clocks him with it for two. Disco hits the last dance on Ono, but as the ref checks on Ono, Cat sneaks the shoe on and kicks Disco, then discards the shoe and pins for the three count and the win. Ono drapes a cape on Cat and helps him stand until Cat breaks into spontaneous dancing. Ono puts a different cape on him as we cut to the replays. <laughs> yeah. Not sure why multiple capes were necessary, but more power to you, buddy. Absolutely. <laughs> Thoughts on this one?
0: So it's better than I thought it was going to be, in case it wasn't clear my like of Vernus Miller, especially at this point in Disco Inferno, it's not that high, so it's a pretty low level, so I'm sort of working at. To be fair, I think they do a decent job at least in the first half, first three quarters of the match, of doing a good variety of actual moves. Disco, unless I don't like him in general, he's good at doing the moves he knows how to do, and he has a decent variety. Yeah. So it's not like watching guys, all they do is clothesline and punch and so on and so forth. He can do those moves well, I just don't like him.
1: Yeah, like, it's not really a problem with his in-ring capability yeah. that gets in the way on him. It's just the personality gimmick and general repetitive themes of his matches that seem to bother yeah. you more, right? It's so.
0: something of the overall package, yeah. Yeah. You can take different parts and go, oh, this is good, this is fine, but yeah, together.
1: Yeah. All his moves seem generally capably done.
0: Well, even on Miller's part, for the most part, he does a good job of selling the moves. He does his kicks really well. as That's kind of his whole thing. The problem is, once you get to the third part of the match, really, the last part of it, they get a bit repetitive. Like I said, there's two sidekicks in a row like that. The finish is about setting up a kick and then countering and then getting two kicks, kind of kicked out at this point. I <laughs> wasn't that entirely clear why shoes he wears normally to walk to the ring are weapons. Yeah. Why doesn't he just wrestle in them? Norm- I,
1: I, I've never gotten that with him. Like, he doesn't do the thing you sometimes see people do when they're trying to signal, like, oh, I've now loaded the shoe, or I've now loaded the glove. Yeah. like, shake it around. Not that that makes a lot of sense to begin with, but he doesn't have, like, the theatrics about it that make it clear that now it is a weapon.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. The finish, as we'll we'll see a lot, is a bit complicated, and designed to be a little screwy to let the heel win. I think they do it fairly well. I can appreciate subtle things, like the fact that because Cat only wears, he wears no shoes, he goes to put one of them on, and he gets stomped on his exposed foot. Yes. So then when he finally gets the other shoe, that's why he only puts one on and tries to put both of them on. Someone, I'm guessing like a DDP-like person, laid out this thing in a nice binder to explain why this shoe here, this shoe there. Mm-hmm. I still don't necessarily like the idea that his whole finish is distract before you put on a shoe and kick you, but at least
1: they do that well. The overall plotting of it, I think, is fine. Yeah. It needs that extra bit of theatrics to say, ah, now it is loaded. Or like, oh no, doing something to it or something like that.
0: Or something you would know would be dangerous. Like, it'd be like if they do the shoe thing, you know, lay shoes. But instead of turning it so it's simply the heel and like aiming at like the eye or the forehead, if it's just holding the shoe and just like punching them with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was a perfectly acceptable match. It's not the sort I would have expected as an opening that's normally reserved more for cruiserweights doing really acrobatic stunts, and this was pretty simple in design. It's mostly striking and whips to the ropes with a few throws mixed in, but Cat's kicks are quite good, and after some initial stalling, they kept a good quick pace. Disco had some surprisingly intense punches at times, too. Yeah, sir.: The crowd did seem pretty into it, probably due to the audience participation pre-match, mm-hmm. so it did its job. I don't think I'm going to remember much of this one tomorrow, but as we'll find out later tonight, sometimes that's better than being memorable.
0: Yeah. One, <laughs> well, sadly, we'll learn later why the Cruiserweights are not in the opener. It's not, not a good reason.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: As we've already covered officially already, but in the timeline, on the very next show, that is Road Wild 99, we get the match between Buff Bagwell and Urs Miller, which uh, is worse than, than <sighs> this one. That's so, so bad. Yeah. As much as I don't like disco, they don't botch anything in this match, and they definitely botched a few things in that match.
1: And, there, and there's more action in, like, a few moments of this match than oh, yeah. in that entire match. Agreed, yes. Tony throws to Mark Madden with Judge Mills Lane. Judge Lane, Holyfield versus Tyson is one thing. Piper versus Bagwell might be even crazier. How in the world are you going to maintain order in there?
3: well there's certain protocol I expect them to get it on a bit and I know they have a little leeway a little more leeway than even a professional prize fight a boxing match but I can look tell you this I'm not going to put up any crap if I got to chase one on my will that's the name of the game there's certain protocols certain things you can do certain things you can't do so we'll just see where the chips fall when they get it on
0: now you don't seem to
1: like Roddy Piper very much do you?
3: oh I don't dislike any athlete I mean I respect the athletes but I don't put up any crap from athletes I think if you do that you let them take the fight from you
1: how much leeway will you allow in this
3: fight? I mean, Tyson bit Holyfield not once, but twice before you called for the bell. How much will you let go? It depends, The people that said I should have chased Tyson after the first bite make a good case for it. But the doc said he could go on. There's so much is on the line, I let it go. I'll cut him a little slack, but I'm not gonna cut him a lot of slack. There's a lot on the line here. One of WCW's. All going on right now at WCW.com tonight. Justice you can trust in the ring.
4: You know why he let the fight go on? He asked Holyfield. He said, Are you in trouble? He went, Huh?
1: I'm surprised saying this, but this was one, a good WCW internet table segment that got enough time to be of value for the show. Yeah. And two, a good interview by Mark Madden, of all people.
0: Yeah. The guy's had a long radio career after this company. He must do something right.
1: This is him actually showing what he can do if he stops being a, a pervert idiot uh, yeah. for his character.
0: Yeah, this is the, the observer effect. People act differently than they know being filmed. I wonder if, if they tell him, oh, we're going to cut to you now and film this, or do they just keep talking the whole time? Let's is say this, 20 is minutes. this Mark
1: Madden not in character because he's just yeah. doing an interview? Yeah. Or have, have they just legit not started the Madden... Craziness character yet. And he, this is just Mark Madden, standard interviewer.
0: Yeah. It's interesting.
1: Way. But he gets some good insights out of Lane and he presses him with questions about the famous incident that surely got Lane his role on this show and also delved into how he would referee the unusual boxing match later on. And Lane, for his part, seemed very comfortable with the interview format. Not surprising since he's been a public personality for a long time in both sports and the courtroom at this point. Yeah. So yeah, this was good. It doesn't change how weird it is to have a boxing match on a wrestling show, but it was good.
0: I will say there's some ominous foreshadowing of him saying he'll give him some leave, yes. but not too much.
1: As with many of these things, it, the interview doesn't quite correspond with what actually goes on in the match, but yeah. but the interview is still, I think, a solid part of the show that I liked.
0: Yeah, I remember when we were watching this for a time, we kept waiting for them to suddenly cut away, and like they didn't. Yeah. Like, oh, you're actually letting them explain <laughs> a point.
1: <laughs> you did? Yeah, because we're like, what was it, two short Or it might have been last show, actually. I know or with Conan, just, for sure, they cut away from Yeah, him. they just would, like, chop in the middle of a sentence just as they were getting to the point of... Yeah, yeah it was last show because it happened with Perfect 2, where he's just... Oh, yeah, yeah. ...just getting to explaining his point, and then
0: they're... <laughs> well, they don't give too much of the show away, Bob. You gotta pay to listen to Radio <laughs> WCW or whatever the hell they call it.
1: We then cut to a video package showing a combined build-up to our next match, Hammer versus Steiner, combined with Flair banning hardcore matches. Van Hammer is not particularly good at setting up tables. <laughs> he is apparently better at asking for title matches.
3: Hey, hate to interrupt. I can see you guys are busy. Mr. President. Yeah. Mr. Vice President. RPVP. Mm. RPVP. Uh, uh, okay, little, I little, see. Little Nate, Little Nate, Asia. Asia. Yeah. 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 All here. Sure. And I can see you're busy. This won't take long. But um, I've been on a roll lately. Winning some matches. Would like a title shot. A title shot. You're the man that can give it to me, right? A title shot. A title, a title shot. shot. A Title shot. <laughs> <Give it up. laughs> oh, I think that's a great idea. Good uh, all right, cash at the beach. Uh, you want a title shot? <laughs> title shot? Steiner, you got it. <laughs> <Two>? Steiner! <laughs> Steiner, <laughs> Steiner. 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 All to yourself. What a roll you got <laughs> there! We'll see if you're, you're a sludge hammer or pinball hammer. You'll have. be roll <laughs> off. I love it.
1: I'll let Al go over the details next, but I do want to note that I love the overall vibe of Ric Flair's presidential cabinet, as it were, mm-hmm. with Flair, Piper, and Charles Robinson just happily chattering away, while Arne chills out like their cool, relaxed, very chilled dad.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
1: <laughs> Arne's mm-hmm. entirely uncaring shrug when Flair asks him if Hammer has been on a roll is the absolute best. Yeah,
0: yeah. At most people's response to Van Hammer. <laughs>
1: So, our second match is Rick Steiner versus Van Hammer for Steiner's WCW World Television Championship. Referee for this one is Mickey J.
0: So, a couple months back, uh, Rick Steiner turned heel and rejoined his brother, who, if you recall your WCW history, spent about, what, eight months trying to get a match with Scott Steiner, which <laughs> they would constantly bait and switch. We covered one of them, but there's like two more shows where they evade and switch the audience.
1: Yeah. Oh. Halloween
0: Havoc is the big one. We'll get... We have so much to discuss with that show. It's like, it's endless. Yeah. So yeah, after all this time trying to find just five men to be his brother up, they reunite because they both were able to win the TV and US title respectively, Scott being the US champion, up until very recently as we'll cover. Meanwhile, some in the back realized that Van Hammer still existed. (laughs) He's kind of been in a limbo ever since the whole flock angle ended. That was his big return, was being that random flock guy. Now there's no flock, what's he going to do? Well, he... Went from dressing like a hippie guy to putting no peace on his singlet. So that's you know he's different. Yes. It's important to spell it out, literally spell it out for the audience.
1: That is, that is character development, Al. You will find that in any writer seminar. Make sure to have your character wear their life mission statement on a t-shirt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so he's been on a brief role in the company. Victories over people like Mikey Whiprick, which I imagine were being very boring, but we'll cover that later. So this leads up to the segment Bob sort of hinted at where Van Hammer, after doing fairly well on Nitro and Thunder, goes into the casual office of the president and vice president, asks for a title match. Flair's like, yeah, sure, why not? He doesn't actually say what title he wants a match for.
1: It's like any of them. Yeah. You know, whichever one you Whatever pass, you got, like, yeah. I'll challenge for the tag titles if you want, on my own. You yeah, know, whatever. Sure. He doesn't actually say that, but I mean, he might as well. If-
0: By default, yeah. So apparently it's some form of punishment, it seems like, because they, they sort of... They give him a match and then laugh about it after he leaves.
1: Yeah, I, I can't tell if it's intended to be an insult to him that they're like, uh, this this chopper asking us for a title match, let's give him the worst one possible, or if it's just meant to be the chaotic atmosphere of the Ric Flair presidency.
0: Or just backstage at WCW in general. Yeah, that's true. Life imitating art or art imitating life, either way you look at it. But yeah, so he gets the title match against Rick Steiner because uh, he's been doing fairly well by Van Hammer standards.
1: Yes. Steiner is out first, oddly, given that he is the champ. His beware-of-dog jacket remains great. Heenan notes that the whole state of Florida is a junkyard. I take exception to that, but it would explain why they didn't feel the need to label Tanay's location any more specifically. Yeah, yeah. Steiner grabs a microphone. This is gonna be one of those shows, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Steiner says things have changed and he and Scott do whatever they want. He says, if someone has a bad attitude, he'll shove it where the sun don't shine. You want some, come get some. You don't like me, bite me. Basic catchphrase promo. Let's move on. Van Hammer is out next. He definitely has a good look. Very tall and athletic. The last time we saw Hammer as a competitor, by the way, was on Slambury 1993, losing to Sid Vicious in 35 seconds. Oh, yeah. So uh, he can only go up.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: To be clear, he's had other matches since then. That's the last time we saw him for the show. Oh, yeah, no. Steiner gets some cheap shots, but Hammer mostly lands clotheslines and a big boot to send Steiner through the ropes and earns one with a suplex when he comes back. Steiner has enough of that and beats Hammer up inside and outside the ring, exposing the concrete and DDTing Hammer on it.
0: Hammer is nowhere near that. Yeah, yeah. So we're supposed to believe, obviously, that he's got hammers, you know, his head in his armpit, and he's like spiking his, at least his forehead on the concrete. But in reality, what's happening is Rick Steiner is just taking a flat back bump on concrete mm-hmm. and going, I, I win.
1: Yeah, the camera angle was not particularly good at that. No. And I, I mean, at least it got the point across. But yeah, still could have been done better. Yeah, agreed. He goes for a pin outside and Jay reminds him that's not allowed. So Steiner throws Jay down. Hammer slugs Steiner in the crotch to briefly turn the tide, but Steiner soon just absorbs a clothesline and continues the beatdown, earning two with an elbow drop. Hammer gets a chair and smacks Steiner, and gets two with a top-rope clothesline. Hammer lifts Steiner, but Steiner bites him, punches him in the crotch, Steiner lines him, and hits a top-rope bulldog for the three-count and the win. Heenan and Tony say the DDT on the floor turned the match away from Hammer. Thoughts on this one?
0: It's not great for sure. It's funny, we complain about Scott Steiner matches where the story is like he does whatever he wants because he's big and scary and the ref refused to DQ him and they used to punish him. I kind of thought that was a Scott Steiner thing, but apparently it's just a Steiner thing.
1: Yeah, at least in this match for sure. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen a lot of the Rick Steiner solo matches during this period is the thing. We've seen the Goldberg one, obviously. Right, which, yeah.
0: ugh. <laughs> And it's part of the, the overall weird vibe they started in like 98 where Sort of looser rules about what qualifies this qualification or not.
1: Yeah. But he, he directly shoves the referee. This, he does, in this yeah. This match, yeah. Which, I mean, at the very least, that should definitely do it.
0: Well, I guess first, like first ball shot is somewhat to Sky, but the second one is just a running kick. Yes. It's a penalty kick to a goal.
1: <laughs> right between the goalposts.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right in the nails, I guess. Bannhammer. <laughs> I'm just confused by this match and like the booking. Because they spend a couple months building up Van Hammer as like a decent threat for a mid-card guy. Mm-hmm. He's got a good look. He's not good in the ring, but he has a good look, so you can kind of get by with that. But they have very little against Rick Steiner and lose in fairly convincing fashion. I guess you could argue that the how is this not DQ aspect sort of protects him, but he gets involved in that as well. So it's not like he's fighting fair. It's with cheating against him to
1: right. get advantage. Ex- yeah, exactly. They're
0: both doing it. I will say he's not truly terrible. Like, is there some bits he doesn't... His diving clothesline is actually not bad. Mm -hmm. Some of his strikes are not bad either.
1: The suplex, too, I Yes, suplex was good, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: I do at least appreciate the overall package, I guess, that Rick Steiner has going. He looks like a big, intimidating guy who will throw you around and punch you and kick you. That said, that's not the most exciting match when you have someone that's not a real exciting person offense-wise. You need, like, a more vibrant, interesting character and wrestler against him. Mm-hmm. So, like, when he shuts down, like, a cruiserweight, for instance, it stands out. He get them around really well. But when they're in control, it's a more interesting match.
1: Yeah, or um, someone who's really, really good at the selling and getting sympathy like Sting. Sure, yeah. You, know, you have him beating the crap out of Sting. Vader Which- showed you could do that for an extended period of time, and Sting can keep it interesting.
0: But I mean, as it is, it's two guys that do fairly basic offense. I mean, Rick's is better, obviously, because he's Rick Steiner. It's a real short match where people just hate each other really hard, and then one guy wins. It's, yeah. Doesn't really do anyone
1: that looks good. Yeah, there's not a ton to this match. It's only about three minutes long, and there's a few awkward strikes in the midst of it, but the two did manage a short but energetic fight. The late match plotting is just weird. It's unclear why a chair shot or repeated strikes to the crotch don't get one or the other DQ'd. This was surprisingly okay, but like you said, what did it actually accomplish? Yeah. If they're trying to build up Hammer, having him lose to Steiner in such a short match hurts that effort. Agreed, yeah. If they're trying to build up Steiner, having Hammer do as well as he did in the beginning kind of undercuts that. Mm -hmm. If they're trying to showcase either or both, they didn't allow very much time for that. So action-wise, this works out well enough, but the story and purpose don't make a lot of sense.
0: Well, funny too because this is after we've had a year plus of Goldberg squash matches, mm-hmm. so they know how to book those. Someone in the back or some people in the back know how to book this kind of match, and they didn't do it here.
1: Yeah,
0: it's it's just non-committal enough with Van Hammer and Control against Steiner that doesn't really work either way.
1: Yeah, the one thing I will give this though is this is significantly better than the Rick Steiner versus Goldberg match at Road Wild 1999. Yeah. Which is not something I would have expected to be saying.
0: We're two for two on those, by the way. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. <laughs> Bash 99, so, calling card so far. Not as bad as Road Wild. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's a tagline they'll want to use on any posters.
0: WCW 99, it gets worse.
1: <laughs> yeah. Though we are yet to touch certain matches on this show, so we'll that's see, true. Uh, we'll see if that maintains.
0: As noted, we would get a Rick Steiner versus Goldberg match in kayfabe. The idea is that back at the same show we covered, where Rick Steiner turned heel, him and Scott beat up Goldberg so he could go off and film the classic movie Universal Soldier: The Return, which you have also covered. Yes, I think we agree. It's still better than this show.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, a hundred times better than this. Show. Yes,
0: yeah. Uh, worth noting that Hammer would mostly not recover from this as a singles competitor. This is actually his last appearance at pay-per-view, by the way. Wow. Unless maybe if you count him like standing by the group with the Misfits in action. Mm-hmm. But as far as a, here's a Van Hammer match on pay-per-view, this is the last one. But yeah, so he would sort of disappear for a while until in kayfabe storyline he would be fired by the company along with people like Hugh Morris and they would form the Misfits in action. The famous bit with him, of course, is that so, the Misfits in Action, they're all military rank. The general, there's a captain, there's lieutenant, there's lieutenant loco, all these things. And they rebrand him, I guess going back to his hippie peace days. He's called Private Stash, which is a joke on people that like their weed and like to hide it so you can't have it to for them. Supposedly, he complained backstage about his rank being lower than other people because he's a private, <laughs> a fictional private. Yes. In a fictional militarization in a wrestling company. So he became Major Stash, which is still a joke, but
1: not, not, a, not as not as clear a joke, yeah. No, no. Tony throws to Tanae at the junkyard. The sun has gone down. Tanay can't tell us who's going to be involved. He doesn't really tell us anything he didn't tell us the first time, but we do get a shot of poor Scott Dickinson holding the crappy Hardcore Champion trophy, which bears the WSW logo, which is a bit odd for an unsanctioned match. Yes. We close out with a helicopter shot because WSW knows how much I love those.
0: So Scott Dickinson is technically refereeing the Junkyard match, right? Yes. How? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's no good answer to that question. I know.
1: Un- unsanctioned is such a strange thing as this company uses it. It's something that the company has not approved. Yeah, And yet they will provide referees for it, air it on their show, uh-huh. provide a trophy for it that has their logo, uh-huh. all sorts of different things. And you're like, do you understand that this is meant to be an expression of your disapproval of this match? I will accept them you know, having it aired on their show still just because we get into the is this really happening on camera or not type yeah, of thing in sure. wrestling all the time. Mm-hmm. It's dumb, but it happens all the time for various things. But you shouldn't have your logo on the trophy and you should have, like, some referee that we've never seen before.
0: Yeah. Or have him, like, not in official uniform and say something like, oh, I'm being paid by 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 or Hack,
1: something.
0: yeah. I me, Harder Hack, yeah, Hack would be good as well. Yeah,
1: because Hack appears to be organizing this entire thing, the idea of Sandman organizing anything, but- uh, <laughs> Yeah. Do you think this is um, karma getting back at Scott Dickinson for that, him refereeing the Chavo and Stevie Ray match last year and not having to do any work at all?
0: Oh, right, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Guess what, buddy, this year you have to referee the Junkyard Invitational.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, still, he doesn't have to do very much, but, you know, he does have to sit there watching the Junkyard Invitational.
0: Yeah, he has to enjoy the smell of the whole area. So oh, yeah.
1: Cool. We cut to a short video of WCW President Ric Flair giving his son David the U.S. title and telling him that women will like him despite his total lack of charisma. Rick didn't actually say that last bit, mind. hmm our third match is Dean Malenko versus David Flair, with Tori Wilson, Rick Flair, Asia, Arn Anderson, and Charles Robinson for Flair's WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Referee for this one is Johnny Boone.
0: Rick Flair has gone a bit mad with power, which is surprising. He's usually a very level, <laughs> straight-laced character. But yeah, in about six months, he's gone from wrestler to president for ninety days to president for life to fired to back to President for Life. So, wrap your head around that first off.
1: <laughs> president for Life means about as much as NWO for Life.
0: Exactly. But it comes to the giant. yeah. As one of his acts, he would strip Scott Starner the U.S. title. This happened on the July 5th Nitro. So, July 5th, 1999, which is my 16th birthday. Okay. I did not get a U.S. title for my birthday, in case you're asking. I wasn't. Well, I'm just letting you know I did not. <laughs> I was trying to, you know, it's funny, I was when I was writing my notes, I turned like, "What did I get for my 16th birthday?" I honestly do not remember. I'm sure it's something in this room because I keep everything I've ever <laughs> owned in my life. I'm guessing it's probably PlayStation games or N64. Maybe at that point, would still, yeah. I was gonna make a joke well I got this birthday. But I actually can't remember what it was. So,
1: so folks, you know, just just in case you're wondering, never buy Al anything for his birthday because he'll just forget it.
0: I, I don't think I like this message. <laughs> I was gonna do that, like just claim the his day there for Not those Let's Go ring rock bridge. <laughs> At this point, there is no horseman. It's just Ric Flair's cabinet, which we'll see all of in the next match.
1: Malenko is out first. Tony notes that he wanted to rekindle the four horsemen, but Flair let the power of the presidency go to his head and dissolve the four horsemen. David Flair comes out in a Flair-style silver robe, arm-in-arm with Tori Wilson. Honestly, Walking out wearing a flare robe is the most comfortable I have seen David Flair look on camera. Yeah. It makes sense. You've got to figure he probably tried some on and pretended to be his dad while growing up. Yeah, for sure. Rick Flair and company follow behind. Tony is grateful that Boone is the ref, rather than Flair's pal Robinson. Malenko easily dominates, even tossing David to the ground after David manages one bit of offense, a waist lock. Malenko repeatedly lectures Rick about David. David eventually shoves Malenko, so Malenko stomps him flat, suplexes him, and sets for the cloverleaf. Brick in, but Malenko slugs him. Arne in, and he spinebusters Boone, and Robinson takes Boone's ref shirt. Malenko disposes of Arne, then Asia, and puts the latter in the Texas cloverleaf, but Brick hits Malenko with the U.S. title and puts David on top for the three count and the win. Tony calls it a blemish on the United States title. Rick and Tori check on David as Arn stomps Malenko outside. Flair gets in a stomp, too, as the group makes their exit, and Heenan reminds us that Malenko used to be a horseman. Thoughts on this one?
0: I mean, this isn't really even a match, is it? Not really. My note was that this is a Nitro angle on pay-per-view. hmm It's like, maybe it's a timing thing, like, they just ran out of Nitros. They're like, let's do this on this Nitro. Oh, wait, no, Sunday's pay-per-view. Well, we can't ignore this for another extra day, so let's just do it on a pay-per-view. That's how people pay for, to watch this, I guess.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit of a, well, we got to have the U.S. title on pay per view kind of thing, too. Yeah.
0: I get that they want, even if I don't like it, that they got to push this angle. Let's show how crazy Flair is. We put the title on his kid, who has no, I think Doug has no offense as champion, which is definitely a stat to have. Yes. <laughs> not, a, not a good one, but it's definitely a stat. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's barely even any action in it because it's Blinko constantly knocking the poor kid down until. Like, six people run into the ring and do stuff. Mm-hmm. The real loser here, it's funny, it's like, David Floyd doesn't look great here, but he didn't come in looking great, so it's not like, this is downhill from Morales' the same baseline he's been at. Weirdly enough, it's not even blinko because it's so against him, you, you can't really weaken yeah, him with he, this. He
1: looks clearly strong in the opening going, like, he easily dominates. So. This is a
0: straight match to be over in 30 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the one that really looks weak here, and this is an odd, odd book decision, is Asia.
1: Yes. I
0: don't know if we've covered her on a show before or
1: not. I think we've mentioned her before. Okay. Yeah. Basically WCW's version of WWE's China.
0: Yeah. She was a bodybuilder. So she had the big physique of a China. The problem is she wasn't very big, like as far as height goes. Mm-hmm. So she goes in the ring, like a China would go and like try to intimidate, let's say, I know one heart or someone like that. She goes in the ring and she's the exact same height as Dean Malenko.
1: Who is not known as one of the largest wrestlers, yeah. yeah.
0: Famously called a vanilla midget by Kevin Nash. Yes. Term I don't like, but it is notable for this situation. She goes in the ring and does nothing at all to him.
1: He actually hesitates for a moment before attacking her because you know, the whole don't want to hit a girl type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So he even gives her a moment to potentially have done something to her.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to think that like she forgot a spot or something, but it's just just weird because he comes in and doesn't do anything. I guess she's distracting him. Sure. Yeah. But She's like, I'm in the ring now, so you can't do anything, and then he just buy slams her. I will say Dean looks a little dumb for putting her in the cloverleaf. Why? She's already down.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I, w- I would wager that it was, a uh, we can't put Arn in the cloverleaf because yeah. of his injuries, probably, so she's the natural option if you're going to have him put someone in the cloverleaf and then still lose. Because if yeah. he puts David in the cloverleaf, he's winning.
0: Right. I mean, you could put, you could put Flair in the cloverleaf.
1: I think that's probably, if I were going to rebook this, I would have... Him knock Flair down, knock Arn down, put Flair in the Cloverleaf, then Asia comes in, knocks him down. Sure. And drags David on top.
0: Yeah. It's just weird to book the Muscle character and does nothing. Yes. Max Muscle bodyguard for DDP did more. Yes. It's amazing. Not good.
1: I will say, I thought that this would annoy me a lot more than it actually did. Mm -hmm. David is clearly not prepared to be a wrestler on pay-per-view, but that is actually kind of the point of this story. Mm Mm-hmm. Malenko just easily dominates the match, which feels entirely right and proper, and it's only through blatant cheating and corruption that David, quote-unquote, wins. Oh, yeah. The commentary team, Tony especially, openly mocks the idea that David is champion. I still wish there was more actual action to a pay-per-view match, maybe Malenko getting to face off for a longer time against Rick, for instance, as part of the interference. But this works as part of the power-mad-Rick Flair angle, and there's definitely some potential interesting story from this. It's only once they try to make David a regular wrestler later on, mm. while he's still not prepared, that things really get bad. Yeah. Still, like you said, this was more angle than match, and I don't really think we needed it on pay-per-view.
0: Yeah. If you look ahead, from my memory, anyways, the only WWE appearance of David Flair is in the build oh, to- <laughs> rest- Getting beat up by Undertaker. Yeah, WrestleMania 18 buildup. Yeah. Build yeah. Ric Flair's son, David is, you know, trained be a wrestler- Ignore that's three years after this show that's happening. Yes. Um, and he could beat up. That's the only thing he ever did there, as far as I know. So they didn't put in multiple championships on
1: him. From what I understand, David did not really want to be a pro wrestler.
0: It's pretty clear he didn't know. And do clear, I don't feel like I'm picking on David Flair, because... He's just in real life, just shoved in the situation. Hey, yeah,
1: that's I think that's he's kind of put in this situation. He's not prepared for it, he's not really wanting to do it in the first place. Yeah. But you know, dad says, or you know, whoever's booking at the time period says, Hey, come on, it'll be cool. Yeah, and like, okay, fine. So that that's kind of the vibe you get from him on all his appearances the okay, fine vibe.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> what's funny too, when you think about it the whole thing, they have Charles Robinson's little nature. The thing they realized, because they, they realized he was a lifelong Flair fan, or at least a long-time Flair fan, mm-hmm. and a referee anyway, so they played a part of the story. You could have made David that character, and that would make a lot more sense, little nature boy, because it's literally his son. Yeah, yeah. Not a random guy. <laughs> Flair's reign mercifully end, a statement I feel weird even saying now, because you think I mean Rick, but it's definitely David. Uh, he would end on Nitro about three weeks later, where the title would go to someone else. A guy who actually is a wrestler and wants to be a wrestler, so that's a step up. Okay. It is funny to think that it went from Scott Steiner to David Flair, by the way. It's a reminder. <laughs> it's so weird. That is odd. Chronology, like, WWE loves to do this little timeline thing where he's a lot of champions. I want like, to, like, see if they have one for the US title. Just so it goes Scott Steiner, like, flexing and then David Flair awkwardly sort of staring at the camera because he's not sure what to do. Poor guy. <laughs> as far as Lincoln goes, him and Benoit, of course, out of the horseman can no longer exist. So they would form alongside Perry Saturn and Shane Douglas, they formed The Revolution. Three of those four would then be in a six-man tag match on the next show, which thankfully did not suck.
1: And the remaining one would be pretty much abandoned by the remaining three for (laughs) for his match. Yes. But somehow they're a group. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Tony throws to a video package covering Kurt Hennig's views on rap music. Sir how you doing, man? What's up, Kurt? How you, how you doing, man? You are the king of rap. I love your music so much. I love your music more than anybody in the world. I'm true to the game, man. I'm Bowdy Bowdy all the way. You are unbelievable. Having a bad day? You I'm You're Bowdy
3: Bowdy,
1: huh? Oh, all the way, man. So I love like rap. rap. I love rap music. I get an autograph or something, man? I got I-
3: something
2: special for you since you're true to the game.
3: You got one of them true baby?
2: Right here. Uh, yeah. Right. Oh, man. Get you a special autograph sound. You, you don't know,
3: know how much I appreciate this. I mean, this is... Man, I, this is the best keeps, this is the greatest gift that I have ever gotten. I am going to keep this. In fact, I respect this. You want me to show you how much I really respect this? That's about how much I respect it. Oh, you won't beat that yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> Hennig does a really good job with the opening bit, sounding enthusiastic, but just a touch insincere before he breaks the CD that he's given by Master P. Mm-hmm that is the name right I yes. don't know rappers <laughs> I was
0: about to say do you even know what Master P is <laughs>
1: I hate rap there's only one thing that I hate cause it's a bunch of crap I I adore the music video segment of this promo package with their uh, anti-rap song, Rap is Crap. Yeah. Largely because Hennig and company are so clearly having a good time making a music video. They are, yeah. It's one of those infectious enthusiasm segments. Mm -hmm. The song definitely would not be winning any awards. No. But it was a lot of fun watching them. Mm. But what is it with WCW songs in this era that are just lists of things that the singer likes? They did that with three count, too.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true.
2: Give you what you all came to hear. That's that number one
3: song. It's all the way to the top. It's called "Rap Is Crap," and it goes like this right here. mansion five. All right.
1: Weirdly, the video cuts off quite suddenly as Hennig's announcing another performance of it, which I thought at the time was going to be interrupted by their foes. But I listened to the wsw Mayhem album today again, against my better judgment. You poor man. <laughs> yes, the intro he's giving here is identical to the one that they play on the Mayhem album when they go into the song, which sounds like it was recorded at that time. Mm -hmm. So I think they actually do get a full performance there. I'm not sure. Okay. But quite suddenly, the video cuts off, and we get Dave Penzer in a look behind the scenes as he announces, match in five!
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nice.
1: So our fourth match is the No Limit Soldiers. That's Conan, Ray Mysterio Jr., Swole, and B.A., otherwise known as Brad Armstrong, in one of his less ridiculous and copyright-infringing gimmicks. Yes. With Chase and 4x4 versus the West Texas Rednecks, Kurt Hennig, Bobby Duncan Jr., Barry Windham, and Kendall Windham in an elimination tag match. Referee for this one is Nick Patrick.
0: Having not learned any lesson from booking Jay O. Dennis Rodman, or Kiss, for that matter, the company would spend a small fortune hiring Master P to appear on television. To be fair, it was a big deal for him to be, be like a celebrity at this point in 1999, Even if we necessarily don't know him that well or at all, he is generally well well known, oh, especially yeah. then. And his son, of course, has done very well for himself as well. They paid him a lot of money to show up on Nitro alongside his one thousand person entourage, or so it seemed. <laughs> They would, of course, run afoul of famous cowboy, Kurt Hennig, because Minnesota is definitely a cowboy town. Cowboy state, I should say. I'm sure they have fields, and I'm sure they raise cattle, but that's not my first thought. There's a reason
1: that the group was named the West Texas Rednecks, not the West Minnesota Rednecks.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I was going to joke that Minnesota is west of Texas, but I don't think it's actually true.
1: I, I'm pretty sure that I made that exact confusion. At Road Wild 99, I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you corrected me on that.
0: Yeah, I was like... I was going to at least try to make it make sense. You know, he would team up with the Wyndham brothers and Bobby Duggan Jr. The interesting thing where the story plays out, and you see a bit of it in the video packages. So in the earlier package with Master P, like, he runs in the backstage. He pretends to be a fan, so Master P will give him a CD and then he smashes it. And he's confronted by like a large sum of people.
1: It is the no-limit soldiers, so yeah. there are no limits to the number of them that will show up.
0: Yeah, presumably it's like a clown car limo.
1: It's, it's like those segments uh, where, you, where you've got the boss in a video game, and until you beat the boss, oh, yeah. the, the, the ads just keep coming in.
0: Yeah, every health segment more just come in, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, So, Hennig is supposed to be the heel in this story, but here he is standing up to a large army of people. Yes. And then later in the, the second and last appearance of Master P., they got to go up Nitro to celebrate his son's birthday. and then comes in the ring and, surrounded by people, gives Mendicidaeus the gift of a cowboy hat, which he gets stomped on by the son. He's still kind of a heel because he's giving someone a gift they don't want. Mm-hmm. The worst kind of person in the world, of course. But again, he's confronted and attacked by all these people. So when he finds three other guys that are like-minded, but not from the same state, it seems like a face like forming a faction to fend off or the group.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like Which is odd. Yeah, that's that's the trouble and as as we'll see, is a problem with the match itself to some degree as well. It feels like it's booked not entirely backwards, but a little bit backwards. Yeah. Where it's always the heel that's outnumbered, it's always the heel that's getting beaten down. He's being insulting. Like yeah. he's he is being insulting, but he's being beaten up by guys who have the numbers where they could just brush him off and, you know, yeah. laugh at him or something instead. It it definitely feels like what he's done is not enough to justify what they've done in yeah. response.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, in fact, that he's always fighting against the bigger odds. Right, yeah. so odd.
1: If you had him the first time he shows up, he meets Just Master P himself backstage, maybe with one other guy. Sure. Because you probably want someone there that it's okay for Hennig to beat up. Yeah, yeah, uh, And then he beats that guy down just unprovoked after breaking the CD. And then, again, shows up with larger numbers. He's already organized the rednecks. Yeah. Only then do you have the much larger group show up in response. Yeah, sure. Then I think it goes better.
0: Right. I actually did do some research on Sewell, Because he surprisingly has a wiki page, which is more than I thought he would have, to be honest with you. 4 by 4 does not, and uh, Chase doesn't have one, but it's okay. He started training for wrestling back in 1991. Mm-hmm. And he was trained by Brad Reingans, who yes. was an Olympic wrestler that was also a pro Race wrestler.
1: Incidentally, pro wrestler trained by Vern Gagne.
0: Oh, that's true. Thank you. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it all connects. Well, and what's really weird about to think about this connections you have here in the very, very dying days of AWA, that being 1991, mm-hmm. when they closed in like September that year, they still put on a few shows even after the terrible team challenge series and their failed repilot, yes. which he also covered. Yeah. He actually wrestled two matches for the AWA back <laughs> in 1991. Nice. So, if you ever thought the AWA connection being Swole and Kurt Henning, you would have not guessed that.
1: <laughs> no, no, that's, that is shocking, yeah.
0: Yeah, he also wrestled a couple matches in all Japan before going back to being a football player. And there's kind of a big gap in his resume on Wikipedia, because that's obviously not the most thorough source. It shows him playing football through 93, 94, and then just kind of reappearing here. So, unsurprisingly, his name <laughs> isn't actually Swole. Yeah. <laughs> <Shocking>. <laughs> what a surprise. I know. However, his actual real name, as far as Wikipedia goes
1: is Randy Thornton. That, that is awesome.
0: So close to being like the most famous third generation wrestler. Yes. And a match full of second, third generation wrestlers.
1: I would love if he had somehow gotten a job with the WWE during that same period. Yeah. And you had the Thornton and Norton.
0: Uh. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Bob Warden Jr. says, you know, it's not officially your brother, but you know, wink, quick, nut, nudge. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I traveled, I traveled the country a long time.
1: Oh, Colin, we're getting into the Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko angle again.
0: (laughs) Oh, that or the uh, Kurt Angle is legitimate son, Jason Jordan angle as well.
1: (laughs) The Rednecks enter first to their song, Rap is Crap. Things that I notice. Penzer announces Duncombe between the two Wyndhams, which means he has to say the Wyndhams' hometown of Sweetwater, Texas, twice. Yeah. Efficiency, man. Mm Mm-hmm. A fan holds up a sign. Rap is crap, but country is worse. Well, buddy, this is your snack break. Yeah. In fact, skip the next match, too, for unrelated reasons. Probably, yeah. The No Limit Soldiers are out next. 4x4 four four is absolutely massive. hmm I don't know why maskless Rey Mysterio continues to insist on wearing clothes or hats that are so oversized that he looks like a child playing dress-up. Yeah. Swole is apparently from No Limitsville. (laughs) Yeah. Does No Limitsville cover, like, the whole universe?
0: Inherently, I would think.
1: Conan's hat spells his name with a C rather than a K, which I'm sure gave WSW's legal team some cold sweats. (laughs) Yeah, right. Heenan, regarding the soldiers' outfits, notes that you could avoid all that if you put a light in the closet. (laughs) Notably not accompanying the No Limit soldiers... Master P. Yeah, Conan gets a microphone and talks about salads and potatoes for a moment before running through his usual catchphrases. Ray apparently goes backwards through puberty to mm-hmm. yell the No Limit Soldiers catchphrase.
3: Now before we tear it up,
0: can I hear the call of the soldier? Who are you?
1: His voice goes up several octaves.
0: Apparently, that's how you're supposed to do that, or is like a lot of them do that? Why? Yeah. I'm not saying it makes sense. It's grown men making owl noises. <laughs> so I don't know where logic you're expecting, Bob.
1: <sighs> what have they done to you, Ray? Barry and Mysterio start, and Mysterio dodges around until Barry catches him on a moonsault, but Mysterio slips free and whips him to the turnbuckle, then gets two with a moonsault. Henig in, and Mysterio ends up on the apron, where he tags Armstrong, which is apparently legal. Armstrong versus Hennig would be great but we only get a taste as Armstrong lands a few quick throws and showboats. Credit to him, he's really going for this gimmick. Yeah. And we switch to Dunkum and Swole. Dunkum gets two with a couple elbow drops, and Mysterio saves. Kendall in with heavy hits, but Swole dodges a splash and tags Mysterio, who walks in right beneath his arm without ducking.
0: <laughs> yes, true.
1: <laughs> Swole is tall, and Mysterio is not. Kendall lands hard strikes and catches a springboard Rana, but Mysterio lands punches until both spill outside, knocking poor Duncombe off the apron in the process. Tag to Conan, and Hennig in without a whisper of a tag, which Patrick allows even though he really should be counting Kendall out. Yeah. Conan and Hennig fight, and Ray and Duncombe interject, the former much more acrobatically, and Ray and Conan hit some fast paced double teams. A confused swole appears to reach for a tag from Ray, but gets one from Conan, as apparently Duncan is legal now, too, somehow. Sure. Swole pins Duncombe for three off a of Ray springboard leg drop for elimination one. Duncombe tries to get back in, so Chase and 4x4 four four beat him up. Barry gets two on Conan with a suplex, but Conan later escapes Hennig and tags Armstrong, who aggressively attacks, but a Hennig clothesline sneaky hit from the apron by Barry, and the plex put him down for three. Elimination two. Someone audibly yelled, s***, there. <laughs> Conan in and Henegh pokes his eyes and tags Kendall, who beats him up and gets two with a leg drop. But Conan dodges a second, earns two with a face buster, and gets three off a Ray springboard dropkick into a Conan sort of frontside crucifix or DDT roll-up?
0: He's going for like a small package, I think, with the forward roll into it is the idea, but yeah. Yeah. A bit off.
1: Elimination three. Barry earns two counts with a back suplex and a DDT, as Kendall, trying to re-enter, is held off by Chase and 4 by 4 Hennig sneaks in some strikes, and Barry gets a diving clothesline for two, but Conan hits his rolling lariat and clotheslines Barry and himself out over the ropes. They fight outside, and Chase just comes over and carries Barry away, followed for no good reason by Conan, so Patrick counts Barry and Conan out for eliminations four and five. Seriously, why did Conan go over there?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what you would do in relation to the barry Wyndham part, because I mean... Who you get is qualify in a multi-person match for that happening, but yeah. Conan's like, oh, let's see where he's going with this.
1: Yeah. Literally. We're down to Hennig versus Swole and Ray. Swole lands punches, but suddenly, Barry charges back in, and Swole fights him and Hennig until Chase comes in, and is true to his name, chasing Barry off. Hennig retreats, but 4 by 4 blocks his way, and Hennig gives him this great, oh, what now, kind of expression. Yeah. <laughs> back in, Swole lands a nice palm thrust, and tags Mysterio. Mysterio dives off Swole's shoulders to splash Hennig for the three count for elimination six and the win. Two against one, Heenan complains. That's not right. Tony points out they also had the advantage with Chase and 4x4 outside. Thoughts on this one?
0: So I think the format of this match kind of works, given the experience level they're doing with with Swole and the way they're kind of booking everyone in general. It means constant tags in and out and constant action. So it's less, there's no time for chin locks and such, for instance. Mm-hmm. I still am not going to say it's a great match, but I think they manage certain people the right way. Like Swole comes in, looks strong a little bit, but doesn't hang around real long. They know that he's not that experienced. He's the least experienced person in the match, as they say. So it's smart not to have him say, work 60%, 60% of the match like they did in, what's the, I don't know, the last match of the beat <laughs> show? <Yes>. With two <laughs> two NBA players working long holds with each other? Yeah, maybe. The real, like, the star of this match is very Mysterio. Mm-hmm. In spite of how they've butchered his look with the no mask, they've no horns yet. Yes. And just, yeah, the fact that he's wearing like Conant clothes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Other than the fact that they've butchered his look He's still a Mysterio, who is still good even in this day, 24 years later now, mm-hmm. practically, a little over. So I like that he has so much involved in this match. It is weird that they make a point of such brief brand. Brad Armstrong as B.A., and he has so little in the match. It's surprising.
1: Yeah, he doesn't have a huge part of it. He, he's good while he's in there.
0: No, yeah, he's not but, bad in the match. I
1: mean, it's, it's Brad Armstrong, so that's not a surprise. No. But yeah, it, it is funny that they bothered giving this guy a new gimmick and then... Basically don't use him that much. Exactly, yeah. Especially when, like I said, I, I would love to see a Brad Armstrong versus Kurt Hennig match. Yeah. I imagine that it'd be pretty cool.
0: I think they managed the time well here as well, because no one sort of stays in too long. There's no time for long sort of boring mm-hmm. holds, and I think it's really drawn out. So I think it's based pretty well.
1: Yeah, I found this quite fun. It's a good mix of different wrestling styles that blend surprisingly well. In particular, I am not sure that I would have called that 80s and early 90s great Barry Wyndham would work so well with the Lucha style of Rey Mysterio. Yeah. But they, for the short time they're in the match together, they blend really well. Mm-hmm. Except for a minor slip up here and there and an awkward build to the finish, the action was quite solid and entertaining. They managed a good flow and a back and forth feel. And there's a good bit of action between each elimination. I've seen others where they just suddenly come fast and furious at the very end and this was definitely preferable. Mm-hmm. I love the actual ending spot too. It's a great spectacle. Yeah. That said, uh-huh. the booking is deeply strange. Yeah. With the No Limit Soldiers, the faces constantly the ones with the man advantage. Yeah. They're always up on the heels when you normally want it the other way around to build tension. Plus, they have two extra guys outside the ring, and Ray is constantly jumping in to hit people from behind.
0: <laughs> Ray is really playing like us in tag matches. We yes. Play the yes. Wrestling game. Ray constantly just started to drop pick the guy when they are going to come back.
1: They totally look like the heels here. And and the crowd sometimes seems a bit confused as a result.
0: Yeah, thankfully they love Ray and Conan, so it helps.
1: Yeah. To be fair, there are several cheap shots and heelish taxes from the rednecks, and they're the ones constantly trying to come back in yeah. after they've been eliminated. But to be less fair, one of those eliminations is literally that Chase, i.e. not a match participant, carries Barry Windham out away for a count out. Yeah. Once you've noticed it, it's hard to ignore the backwards feel and just enjoy the action. Yeah, If you can, though, it is a genuinely enjoyable yeah. uh, match.
0: Someone must remember this finish in more recent history, because I want to say about 10 years later, let's say 2009, 2010, maybe. Mm-hmm. Might be off exactly in the year. There's a Survivor Series match, where it's Team Shawn Michaels. So you get a match that involves Shawn Michaels, Rey Mysterio, and the Great Kali.
1: Okay. <laughs> I can see where that's going.
0: Yeah. So, they, yeah, they do, they do this exact finish where Rey Mysterio climbs on Kali's shoulders and dives off and gets into the splash.
1: Good use of the great Kali.
0: Yeah. Obviously, Rey remembered the spot because he's the one in both matches. Yes, yeah. It's like, you know, I did this. No, no, soldiers match. It was really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great spot. I mean, I, I, I really like that as the finish. Yeah. I, I just wish the match were a little bit more intelligently booked getting to that point. Yeah. But the actual finish is really hot.
0: Yeah. It's not related to the match specifically, but it's something I find amusing timing-wise. So the overall thing with this angle is rap versus country, and more generally rap fans and country fans, they don't get along, how different they are, you know, trying to unite their differences, but they can't. About two months before this all angle starts, in April 1999, a young man is born named Little Nas X,
1: (laughs) who (laughs) bridges
0: rap and country. This is true. Is it a coincidence? Probably not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One minor credit to the WSW Mayhem album, by the way. Uh-huh. They have positioned the Rap As Crap song immediately after Conan's theme, uh-huh. which is a rap song. Of course. So, And of course, Conan's part of the No Limit Soldiers group. So they have at least like emphasized the feud oh, with there you their go. music album. Yeah. Still doesn't change the fact that that album is a piece of crap, but... <laughs>
0: At least you're the one that bought it. I'm the one that bought it. I just gave it to you. So. <laughs> yes. I'm the villain here, clearly.
1: <laughs> yes,
4: you definitely are.
0: The West Texas Rednecks would fight the Revolution team I mentioned in the previous match, and a six-man match at Road Wild. The duo would also briefly hold the tag titles as the duo of the Wyndham Brothers. So it's kind of a weird bit of look when you look at it because... So they work a four-on-four match here. Mm-hmm. Next year, they work a three-on-three match. And then they work a two-on-two match with the tag titles.
1: <laughs> Slowly deducting.
0: <laughs> yeah. Eventually get down to just Kurt Hennig and think we're good. <laughs> as far as the Luminant Soldiers, they would quickly stop being a thing, unsurprisingly, given that the whole angle is Master P and he's gone and his son is gone. And it's just wrestlers that either actually rap like Conan or just are adjacent people that rap, like Ray, mm-hmm. or just work backstage like Brad Armstrong. Yes. <laughs> Ray and Conan would eventually, fairly quickly after this, unite with Eddie Guerrero and Billy Kidman. So we get the filthy animals.
1: Right, 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 right. Which is kind of a Jason gimmick. It's like they took the No Limit Soldiers idea and just were like, oh, we don't have Master P anymore. Let's just jam them in the same kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Curiously, it would then lead, in a way, to a rap versus rap match. Because that same Road Wild show, also the six man match, where it's Eddie Guerrero, Kidman, and Ray. Against Vampiro and the ICP.
1: Why you gotta remind me of these things, man?
0: History is weird. The the existence of the
1: ICP, I didn't want to remember that.
0: (laughs) Uh, As far as the... So the remainder of the group, you're looking at B.A., Swole, Chase, and 4x4. They would just kind of hang around a bit longer, about a few weeks, honestly, not even like a month goes by. The last appearance by the Enolimed Soldiers on the August 31st episode of WCW Saturday Night which is probably pre-tape anyways, because it's Saturday night. That's the last time they would appear, and it's also the last time Swoll would wrestle. It's kind of a shame they'd spend so much time building up Swoll. He's this big guy. He's got a future. I'm curious where he's going to go when it doesn't when he doesn't, a month later.
1: It's a shame that he doesn't, because he was not bad in this match. Like, no. You can tell he's not as experienced as the other guys sure. in the ring, sure. Yeah. But he definitely had some good moves. I really loved that palm thrust at the end. He like got a good... He has the,
0: um, the drop-to-the-knee-down force yeah, the yeah, yeah, he
1: got good emphasis of the force. Yeah. And I don't think by actually adding legit no. force to it, he has a good look, a good, impressive build, and uh, yeah. seemed like he had stamina and an ability to move in the ring, so yeah. I would have liked to see more from it's him.
0: It's kind of a dropped ball, really, from WCW, that they had this guy, and for whatever reason, I don't know why he's stopped wrestling, I don't know if he just didn't want to anymore, or there could be more to the story, but if they could have kept him, and they didn't, it's a shame.
1: Yeah, yeah. He definitely had some potential, I think. Agreed. We cut to the commentary desk where Tony goes over the upcoming matches. Tony notes, again, that Sting and Nash aren't really a tag team because Sting could pin Nash and win the world title. How? <laughs> How can they both be legal at the same time? You have to address these things, WCW. Space is warped and time is relative,
0: Bob, i to tell you.
1: Tony and Heenan discuss the Junkyard Invitational and Heenan lists off things we could see, which appears to include Rottweilers. Tony cracks up as Heenan struggles to describe the match, and agrees that it's going to be unique. Heenan starts a story about a fight in a car at a drive-in movie theater involving a speaker on a post as Tony shakes his head and laughs, but Tony finally reclaims control to talk up the toughness of the match competitors. That was far more entertaining than the match itself is going to be.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Tony throws to video of Hacks challenge to other wrestlers from Nitro, Weirdly, it opens with a heavy, like, grainy effect. Yeah. But then fades to normal quality moments later.
0: I think they're emulating the ECW vibe. Yeah. They had that sort of feel where they would shoot in, like, the backstage area. No, I
1: get that. But yeah. it's just, like, they do this, like, aha, it's, it's crappy camera quality. Oh, suddenly it's perfect.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, They're not doing it well. But yeah. That's, that's at least why just, like, doing.
1: keep that effect on for the entire video. Yeah. And it would make more sense.
3: I'm calling out... Every single tough man on this planet. Nobs, you want to meet me in that junkyard? You go ahead. Bigelow, you got big enough? You meet me in that junkyard. Raven, I know you're home licking your wounds. You Morris, sign on the dotted line. You want to get extreme? I'll show you extreme. Bash the beach, junkyard match. It's
1: an <laughs> okay short promo, Kendo stick to the forehead aside, but... It's a bit weird to play it here since two of the four people mentioned, Bigelow and Raven, will not be in the match. Yeah, true. Just kind of strange that your build up to this, you have a fifty percent success rate. Yeah. <laughs> Our fifth match. And apologies here, as we don't get entrances for this match or any kind of list of competitors. So I have done my best to list them off based on who I saw. Is Brian Knobs, Jerry Flynn, not Lynn Flynn, Laparca in flannel. Jimmy Hart, it's unclear if he's actually a competitor or not, Fit Finley, the public enemy, Rocko Rock and Johnny Grunge, Silver King, Hugh Morris, Lord Steven Regal, David Taylor, Horace Hogan, Hardcore Hack, Mikey Whipwreck, and Cyclope in a Junkyard Invitational match for a crappy-looking trophy. Referee for this one is Scott Dickinson, who I'm sure was loving it.
0: My match description was way too many people in a <laughs> Junkyard <laughs> Invitational match. <laughs>
1: I, I have a database I have to try to get. I know. You can't list.
0: put wait to pay people in database. Yeah. I yeah. Understood. ECW. ECW. <laughs> WCW wanted some of that ECW fan base to hop on over to their shows, since they were exactly winning in the ratings. That whole A3 Weeks thing, that's the past. Yes. As such, they hired a bunch of ECW stars over the ensuing year, such as Raven, Mike Whipwreck, and Sandman. They renamed Hardcore Hack and made a weird... Like rich guy that lived down California Hills for some reason, thing, <laughs> and they started doing hardcore matches, as noted from video packages randomly run throughout the show. Ric Flair does not like hardcore matches, which is weird for a guy who bleeds so much. A little, a little bit, yeah, yeah. So as such, this is a non-sanctioned match that takes place outside the arena, because the best matches take place outside the arena, like the the Subaru truck. Monster, monster truck match. Can't even say it properly. It's so dumb. We also have the people fighting by a lake out of like the middle of the woods, the
1: demon and uh, vampiro. Hell. Yeah. That is next year. I know. I'm back to the beach. I know. Why are you bringing up things that just make me <laughs> dread <laughs> the next show?
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's like building up scar tissue to prepare you, <laughs> trying to help you out. So if you're wondering who set up the ring of cars they fight in, was it Sandman, Jimmy Hart, Kaiser Soze? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, also worth noting, as you mentioned, Steven Regal's in this match. This is his re-debut in
1: WCW. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry, Regal.
0: Regal was fired from WCW for allegedly shooting on Goldberg in their match. He went to WWF. He unfortunately having a lot of personal demons. He got as far as working a match on Survivor Series 1998, so about six months before this show, six seven months. He got fired out to that because it was not getting better, and uh, he's back here now. And he's a random guy we see wearing like sweatpants and a sweater, yeah, a Florida junkyard in summer. But yeah, so it's a bunch of people fighting a junkyard to win a trophy. Hooray.
1: <laughs> so here's the rules as I understand them. The competitors start in the center of a ring of junked automobiles. To win, a competitor has to make his way to a specific fence at the edge of the junkyard and climb up and over to escape, and the first competitor to do so wins. Yes. Dickinson blows an air horn to signal the start of the match, and somehow manages to look the most bored anyone has ever looked while sounding an air horn. It's true, yeah. Come on, man, take pleasure in making noise. Exactly. I'm not going to try to summarize this match. It is dark, it is chaotic, it's darn near impossible to follow, and to be frank, 90% of it is people hitting each other with things or running each other into cars anyway. Yeah. But at least, here are some things that occurred. Okay. Lots of helicopter shots, just to make sure we have to see this from as far away as possible. With a spotlight. With a spotlight, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That didn't help. No. No. The public enemy push a car off another car while absolutely no one is in any danger, which I do prefer, but maybe renders the spot ever so slightly pointless. Yeah. Jerry Flynn jabs a wire into a car, which, several seconds too late, causes sparks to shoot out, and someone, I think Silver King, pretends to be electrocuted very poorly.
0: Yeah, it takes about three tries to get to work.
1: The camera focuses on Morris while he's clearly looking around for whoever he's supposed to do his next spot with, and remains focused on him until finally Hack wanders over to walk him away. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hack, Taylor, and I believe Flynn brawl by a pile of cars, and Hack can be heard blatantly notifying them that someone is preparing to dive, and then even more blatantly calls to a nearby Knobs and Grunge, come on, come here. Hey, come
0: on, come here. Yeah.
1: Someone in sparkly boots dives off onto them. I believe that it is Ciclope, as Tony later mentions his name when someone in similar boots is on screen.
0: I think it's Silver King.
1: Definitely not Silver King, because definitely a guy with a mask.
0: Oh, Okay. So that's, what's the problem? So they shoot this at ground level. The way that spot works inside and, you know, not under spotlight is you shoot at a level with them and then sort of tilt or pan up. Yeah, they never pan and up. See a, Yeah. And see a guy diving. I always thought it was Silver King is the last time you see him. He was up on the car pretending to be executed. So I thought maybe.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not Silver King's boots anyway that I see okay. diving. And the guy definitely has a mask. So I'm pretty sure it's Sequel Bay.
0: Also worth noting is, is actual sequel play and not D Malenko. It is
1: actual sequel play. Yeah, yeah. D Malenko did not get saddled with this crap. Thank God. Laparca has brought his trademark folding chair to throw at knobs. Of course he did. Tony notes. Mm-hmm. Morris throws Silver King onto a windshield. I believe the same one that Horace threw Rocco Rock onto earlier. And King clearly jerks in pain and checks his shoulder. Later, we see him with a very bloody arm as, shockingly, throwing someone onto a windshield somebody else already broke is a terrifically bad idea.
0: Yeah, his his back on his right side and up under his arm is bleeding very badly.
1: Yeah, Morris later hurls himself at Mikey Whipwreck on the same car's hood, but Whipwreck dodges, so Morris eats windshield too. Maybe he felt bad about Silver King, I don't know. Yeah. Horace can be heard telling Finley to block a punch. Shockingly, Finley blocks. (laughs) Yeah. Finley hits him a few times, and I believe Horace can also be heard saying one more. Tony claims that Finley, wielding a trash can lid, is like Captain America. There goes Tony's chance at MVP. Yeah. Regal, probably wondering what the hell he's doing in this match, has to bend over and hold someone on the roof of a car for a very long time, as he clearly waits for a very late Silver King to punch him in the crotch. Yeah. For the first time, we see folks actually wandering over near the fence that they're supposed to care about climbing. As Rocka Rock and Horace walk each other that way. Rock runs Horace into it and tries climbing, but Horace drags him back down in about the most boring way it would be possible to do that. Yeah. Bloodied Silver King beats the ever loving crap out of Brian Knobs in the only legitimate intense shot of this match.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Hack puts Finley in a trunk and signals for someone to drive a forklift over. I don't know who was driving, genuinely. It, it wasn't know. one of the wrestlers. Yeah. Finley escapes comfortably 11 or 12 seconds before the forklift can get the car into a car crusher. Tony talks about it like he escaped one or two seconds before. Yeah. Also, the forklift driver could clearly see him escape, but put the car in anyway. Might as well, right? Yeah. The car crusher has a logo of a son wearing sunglasses.
0: There's a couple of companies, honestly, around our area where we live There, like that. As yeah, well.
1: yeah. The car being crushed is obviously not crushed and a little puff of obvious pyro goes off from behind the crusher. It's absolutely laughable. It's terrible, yeah. Finley knocks over a flaming barrel near an already flaming car and wanders over to the fence completely unopposed. More pyro goes off by the car, and Tony says that'll stop people from interfering, even though Finley was already over the fence and home free by the time it happened. Yeah. Finley escapes, putting this match out of my misery. They're not so tough, Finley bellows. Tony claims that he set the car ablaze with the barrel, but that's clearly not what happened. Thoughts on this piece of garbage?
0: It's pure chaos. In theory, that could be fun. Like, there's a level of chaos that I could go, oh, this is interesting, this is a different feeling. I could see in the very basic stages of trying to make this match idea. Let's have a bunch of guys who are used to working on hardcore matches. We'll get some lucha guys so they can do fun jumps and dives. And, you know, we'll make a unique area. Like, if this is a video game and we're playing it, it could be
1: fun. You can say that about so many of WCW's really bad matches, can't you? Yeah. Like, this would be awesome on a video game, but oh my gosh, it's horrible to watch. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> they don't treat any of the stars properly, because they don't explain who's there. When they, the match has started, they were already fighting. Yeah. They're like 30 seconds into the match, apparently, at least. Everyone's just fighting, and they go, wait, oh, look, it's Rocka Rocka Johnny Grunge. And like, oh, look, it's Steve Rigo. I haven't seen him in a while. You know, all these things that come up. We can literally see because how badly choreographed and filmed this is. They don't plot things out. Right. Like you can see people go, Ooh, I'm going to do this to you now. Like you hear them actually talking, like they you know, calling spots.
1: Even in better plotted matches, wrestlers will obviously call spots. But
0: the most plain yeah. I've ever seen is still, Hey, come on, come over here. Yes. Nothing is going to top that so far.
1: Yeah, I, I believe moments before, I can't hear it as clearly, but I believe he's saying he's about to dive
0: i think so yeah. to the
1: two guys he's actually fighting with that he's like hey come here come here
0: <laughs> he actually drags them over so they make a bigger bite and catch yeah it's amazing <sighs> and so i could see like again you're applying this idea of a match out and calling a match is very generous i know that sounds fun but it's not shot well none of it's done well unfortunately i love public enemy and i love the parka and they put both of them in one match, and it is this. <laughs>
1: this had to be torture for you.
0: It was not fun, no. We have seen this match before, years, probably years ago at this point, when we were watching this before we started our podcast series. Mm-hmm. So I remember how bad this was. So I went into this match, first time with you, and then again when I rewatched it, thinking, okay, I know this is not good. Can I find good stuff in this match? I really tried. Because it's easy to go, oh, yeah, this is famously a bad match. Of course it sucks. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like LaParca. I'm glad you guys do his chair spot once, but by the end, it's just him and I think Brian Nobbs or someone just throwing stuff at each other. It's like really yeah. not great.
1: I think I have three compliments to this match that I will give. Okay. One, LaParca wearing flannel is hilarious.
0: Uh huh. Sure.
1: Two, LaParca gets to do his chair shot, and three, that one bit where Silver King is beating the crap out of somebody and it actually has emotion for a tenth of a second.
0: I do get some joy of the fact that. With his black attire and like spangly boots, that Siri looks a lot like Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. That helps a bit. Probably never say this ever again, but it a disservice to people like Brian Knobs. Like, if this was done in 2023 or even in the last few years, when he got into the whole cinematic thing, which he started obviously before COVID, but obviously during and, and around it, that, that sped up a lot because you could film stuff safer and quicker and just run it.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: This happened now. They would just cut out where they call spots. Yeah. Like you see hacking them and then you see the dive. You wouldn't see the buildup. You cut around the terrible attempt to spark a car somehow. Yes. Yeah, I really wanted this match to be better for all who involved. And it's just, it's so bad. They could have done it in a stage area, it would have looked less real and gritty. The drivers, of course, people got legit injured in this match. Yeah. Because they're slamming on car hoods. And car windshields, and bleeding, and concussions. A lot of people got hurt this match. It's so ridiculous. It is
1: not worth it. Yeah. No. No. This was all the worst parts of bad hardcore matches. The pointless, endless brawling with weapon shot after weapon shot and obvious visible setup for any big stunts without any actual plot or build, but with the added bonus of being extremely poorly lit, poorly shot, and intercut with helicopter shots to make extra super sure that the viewer loses all track of the action.
0: Periodistic orientation, yeah.
1: It's impossible to draw any sense of progression or story from this at all. It's just random crap being hurled around at people, or random people being hurled at random crap. Yeah. It's all the more annoying, because the goal of this match should make it easy to give it a plot. The goal is to reach a specific fence and escape. We don't get a single shot of someone going over to the fence until Horace and Rock go there, four minutes before the end of the match. Yeah. The match time's listed as 1351, so we've got nearly 10 minutes of pointlessness before someone gets around to the actual goal of the match, and they're the only two that try it before Finley goes over completely unopposed and wins.
0: Yeah, it's true, yeah.
1: Add a mix of extremely dangerous stunts that were accidents waiting to happen, and in some cases did, flat-out stupid moments like the Car Crusher debacle, and several moments where wrestlers audibly called spots, and you have a disaster of a match that, again, dragged down for nearly 14 minutes, which felt more like 14 days. Mm-hmm. This was one of the worst things that I have had the displeasure of watching for Let's Go to the Ring.
0: Yeah, I don't know where it ranks in my, like, bottom 10, I guess, or bottom 5. Again, having already seen this match, I knew it was gonna be bad. Mm-hmm. So, when it's as bad as I expect, it's less of a disappointment than match. I go, ooh, this sounds interesting, and it's just, like crap.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's not just to defend the match, because it's still bad. But when it's, you think me bad it is, you're like, well, yeah, that's what I thought.
1: The the reason that I call it among the worst is, I think, twofold. Number one... Actually, threefold. Let's go, let's go with three. So, number one, the complete lack of visibility. Yes. Number two... The complete lack of a plot, despite the fact that it would be easy to give it one. And number three, length. Agreed. We have had crappier action on the show. Agreed, yeah. Not by a ton, but crappier action on the show. Generally it has not gone on for this long. No. That's when a bad match goes into my like worst matches of the series type of thing. Is what it generally is when it combines bad action and length. Yeah. If you make me suffer for two minutes, I'm going to be annoyed at you, but generally you're not going to hit my worst matches of the series. I'm sure I'll look back now and see like two-minute matches that I picked for worst matches of the series. But, you know.
0: I I would say the exception is that uh, skyscrapers match.
1: Right. Like when you botch like literally everything. Yeah, that's that's, an understandable exception. Yeah. yeah. But generally, it's ones that I'm just like, oh my gosh, this took so much of my my time on this planet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as a whole, I mean, I've watched it three times now. Kind of the original time we viewed it and then twice for the show.
1: I don't know if you ended up watching. Uh, Actually, I I managed the same purely because I refused to summarize it. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) That was a good decision on my part.
0: (laughs) Even if this one fix happens, there's still a bunch of problems. But I had one idea that would at least make this match have an actual flow to it in theory and deal with some of the issues. Mm -hmm. Space out the entrances. Yeah, yeah. Hardcore like, hack, and let's say Brian Knobbs start because they're the two, like the faces of this. Mm-hmm. Just sad thing to say. And you have people show up, whether it's a timer thing, or you you can have fun with like instead of the buzzer from the World Rumble, have some sort of junkyardy, trashy sort of sound effect to play signal that. Yeah, that gives you a still silly, but an explanation for why Public Enemy pushes the car over. Like we're doing the match. Here's the car. We just shoved it over. Look how tough we are. You know. Mm-hmm. It's still dumb, because if there was two exits and they blocked one exit with that, fine.
1: If there was someone at least, like, coming towards it that was like, I'm trying to get to the fence, and they're like, aha, no, you're not. Yeah. Even if, like, we know that he's actually, like, 50 meters that way on camera, because he should be, and you don't want someone anywhere nearby when you're pushing a car over. Right. But there's just, like, no suggestion they're blocking anything. (sighs) But yeah,
0: yeah, people coming in and truncated entrances would let you know who's here. Sequel play, if he's the one doing the dive off the car— that's entered to the match. Yes, and the secret place, is the match, and like you, you, sell these things.
1: And you probably would need to rejigger the win condition a little bit if you're doing staggered entrances and stuff. You do,
0: do it, do it, war game style, where you can't win until all wins in there.
1: There you go. Yeah. yeah, that would also explain why no one tries to win for the first like ten minutes of the match. Yeah, like you said at the start, like I can understand them thinking, "Hey, let's try something like this." It is an interesting idea, and I could see some way of doing this match and making it. A, a neat thing to watch yeah this was not it no this was like the exact opposite of it
0: <laughs> well that's the greatest irony of this match too is so the story is rick flair hates hardcore won't let him have happen a show Hardcrack's like oh yeah rick flair you know old man you don't like this stuff we're gonna show you what hardcore is and he's right and then yeah and they give him this <laughs> match and he's like oh
1: rick flair is right yeah they can prove my point <laughs> yeah the only way they could have made it more appropriate is bringing Vergania and Luthes back out to openly mock Hardcore again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> going back to Springtime beat 2000, I remember the one that, that annoyed you the most, and that's saying a lot with that show, <laughs> was the Cruiserweight match where everyone just, suddenly, yes. everyone just suddenly runs in the ring and starts fighting. They never announced who the legal people are. Yes.
1: Not telling me who's in the match is is a pretty clear indicator that I'm going to dislike the match most likely.
0: <laughs> yeah, doesn't that help things? Yeah, for sure. So, unfortunately, about two weeks after this, at a house show, there would be a hardcore match. I guess those would happen at house shows under Ric Flair. Go figure how that works. There would be a hardcore match between Brian Knobbs and Finley. Finley would take a cable bump, and a forced table broke the wrong way and cut his leg very badly. Oh, dang. That put him out of action until Starcade, Like with the Goldberg arm wound that he had... Also, I think in 99, yeah. They had a 99. It was like the inches from having to cut the limb off. Thing, oh my and gosh. So thankfully, both recovered from that. A while after this, I think by the end of the year, they finally go, you know, we had this hardcore trophy piece of crap thing here. Let's make an actual hardcore title, which they had for about two years. Guess who never won that title? Finley. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. The inaugural, like, hardcore Invitational winner never wins the har- hardcore actual title. You
1: make him participate in the Junkyard Invitational and you don't give him an actual title. Yeah. <laughs> That's like kicking him while he's down, man. I know, right? Bizarrely, one of the ads that came on Peacock while I was doing my notes was an Acura ad using Voodoo Child, which yeah. of course was Hogan's theme during his NWO run. Tony throws to a video package showing at length the Jersey Triad beating Benoit and Saturn up backstage, followed by Benoit, Saturn, Malenko, and Bagwell putting figure fours on Flair, DDP, Canyon, and Piper, and a bunch of other random shots from a match involving those eight and Bigelow. We finally get a short bit of a promo from Flair, setting up Benoit and Saturn challenging the Jersey Triad for the tag titles. Goodness, that was long.
0: I guess it really worth showing us Buff Bagwell pinning Ric Flair in that match. Doesn't affect this story at all.
1: no. Nor does it really affect his later story. Yeah,
0: so, not really, no. yeah.
1: Our sixth match is the Jersey Triad, Diamond Dallas Page, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Canyon versus the Crippler, Chris Benoit, and Perry Saturn for the Triad's WCW World Tag Team Championship. Referee for this one is Billy Silverman.
0: So a few months back, as you recall on a previous show, they built a long angle to where Chris Benoit De Malenko had to really fight underneath and finally win the tag titles off of Barry Wynn and McCurt Hennig before they realized they hated rap. Sadly, they would not have long to enjoy the title reign, unfortunately, as it would end in about a few weeks uh, for notably ending up in the hands of DDP, Chris Canyon, and Bam and Bigelow called themselves the Jersey Triad because they're all from Jersey and they're three of them. It all fits. As part of the chaos of this, you would get the new team of Benoit and Saturn instead of Benoit and Malenko. They would sort of go their own ways as far as teaming. Not entirely clear why. They do would actually briefly hold the tag belts, in fact, beating the triad before losing the back to the game on a pay per view, unfortunately. So since they helped them, Flair, the corrupt president of WCW, would allow them to use the freebird rule, which means they could all take part in the match. It was actually the expanded freebird rule because so that one allows you to switch out people to pick in the match. Like, the same way they did it when they wanted to recover for Kevin Nash being injured, so six a tag in form. Because in this one, they actually since swap out during the match.
1: Yeah. So it's literally
0: a three-man team against a two-man team.
1: All their stuff is handicap matches, three versus two. Yeah. Right.
0: It just, the distinction between picking which two are fighting is, they're all fighting.
1: Yeah. It is interesting that they ostensibly do it as there's always a two-man team. Yeah. Because they almost always have only one person in the ring, one on the apron, and then one at ringside. But then the one at ringside will just occasionally trade with the one on the apron. So realistically, it's a three-man team, but there's only one available to tag at any one time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I like to think that probably has something to do with the obsessive compulsive nature of DDP. Most likely. He's like three people on there. No, 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 that's not how matches work. <laughs> I'll be down here on the floor. That's fine. We're <laughs> not doing this.
1: Save this show, guys, please. <laughs> Tony starts uh, noting the Jersey Triad's ability to switch out, as you just discussed, but is interrupted by the Triad cutting a promo.
2: Of course it did. Who's better than Canyon? You people really
3: disappoint me. All the time I've been there for you. At one time you loved me, now you hate me. One thing's for sure, you'll never forget me. Because DDP is the greatest former. Two-time, 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 two heavyweight champion of the world. And together the triad is the greatest trifecta ever. Ain't that right, Canyon? Bottom food!
4: foo!
1: It's another short promo here, but I loved Paige regretfully adding the former to the two-time world champion line. Yeah. He just does a good, like, uncomfortable saying it. Uh, yeah, he, he, he
0: looks at uh, the Canyon versus... Yeah. The
1: canyon. Still confused why he says that three times, though. It's, yeah. You're a two-time world champion. Say it twice.
0: <laughs> I guess because of the triad?
1: Maybe, yeah. The ending bit with the three of them cooperating on the catchphrase is quite fun as well. Yeah. Saturn and Benoit enter as Tony completes his earlier point, and Paige and Saturn start. Saturn wins some vicious slugfest. Benoit and Bigelow in, and Bigelow clubs Benoit down, but Benoit turns the tide and dropkicks him out. Canyon versus Saturn, and Canyon repeatedly escapes t Bone suplex attempts once by grabbing Silverman, who rather clearly ran into position just so Canyon could unexpectedly do that. <laughs> but Benoit chops Canyon, so Saturn finally succeeds. Benoit and Saturn trade off wearing Canyon down with some nice double teams, earning two with a double clothesline, as Paige gently encourages Canyon to make the tag, you idiot! <laughs> Further two counts, off a of Benoit backbreaker and Saturn top rope leg drop, as Paige saves. Saturn fights off Paige, chases Canyon, and decks Bigelow, but Paige hits a diving clothesline from the apron, and Bigelow smashes Saturn to the barricade. Back in, Canyon and Bigelow trade off wearing Saturn down, earning two counts with a Bigelow falling headbutt and Canyon leg drop, and one with a Canyon knee drop as the crowd amuses itself, playing with a beach ball and chants, when staff take it away. Sigh. Bigelow and Saturn stall with a chin lock while that nonsense goes on. Benoit in, and he fights off Bigelow and Canyon, but Page hits a top rope diving clothesline to stop that. Page goes up top to taunt, but slips off, but lands on his feet and brilliantly immediately yells at the crowd, turning a funny botch into heel heat. Yeah. Bigelow gets two off the clothesline, and all three triad members trade off wearing Benoit down, earning more two counts with a page elbow drop, Canyon sunset flip, Canyon clothesline, Canyon Alabama slam, Bigelow headbutts, Canyon swinging neckbreaker, and page elbow drop. Meanwhile, the crowd amuses itself chanting you suck at somebody unrelated to the match instead of watching the show most of them paid to see. Page puts on a front face lock to wait that out, and Saturn tries to get them involved by stomping so they'll clap for Benoit as he excitingly fights through his corner by lifting Page, but they ignore it. Silverman, paying about as much attention as the crowd, misses the tag and sends Saturn back out, so the triad earn more two counts with a mighty Page powerbomb and Canyon's second rope leg drop. Page finally manages to get the crowd's attention by drumming hard on the mat and shouting so that they cheer for Benoit briefly, but they get distracted again. Yeah. Bigelow gives them a moonsault that they do not deserve, but Benoit dodges and tags Saturn, who runs wild and clotheslines Page, Canyon, and himself out. Back in, Saturn top rope splash, and Benoit swan dive headbutt to Bigelow for one for Benoit. Page and Saturn were legal. Mm -hmm. Saturn counters Page's diamond cutter attempt with a northern light suplex for two and a half. Silverman blunders in the way and gets KO'd as Saturn lifts Paige for the Death Valley driver, so Canyon throws powder in Saturn's eyes, but a similarly blinded Paige thanks him with an accidental diamond cutter for two for Benoit. <laughs> Neither were legal. The crowd did count along, so they're finally back into this. Yeah, Benoit German suplex for two. Paige sends a metal trash can in, and Silverman tries to take it, but ends up between... <laughs> ends up between... Bigelow and Canyon, when Saturn and Benoit whip them at each other, so he's KO'd again. Page hits Benoit with the trash can, then tries Saturn, but Saturn ducks so he hits Canyon. No bother, as Bigelow lifts Saturn for a double-team diamond cutter, then wakes Silverman up so Page can pin for the three-count and the win. As the triad celebrate, and the crowd actually does finally give some applause that I think is for the competitors, Tony talks up just how hard it was for Benoit and Saturn having to fight three men, and praises the two as two of the greatest for their efforts, even in defeat. Thoughts on this one?
0: Thankfully, by comparison, and even just on its own, I think this is a really strong match. (laughs) I'd not say there's not issues with it, but I think they fill with such a diversity of action and moves. It definitely gets a bit busy at the end when five people have to be going in and out of the ring, and you have to have rough bumps and powder and the trash can. All these things, moving parts. But the thing for me is that they book this match as going around thirty minutes. What is that, twenty five minutes or so, I think it says?
1: I think it's about twenty three.
0: Okay. So they book it as a longer match, going around to say twenty three minutes. But it's not I've had this before where they when you book a you know a match is gonna book long and you work it like you're gonna have to work it that long. Mm-hmm. Because there's five people, they're able to pace it more. Yes. There are definitely some rest holes here, given the length is still understandable and As you've noticed, probably probably partially do with the wait for the
1: crowd to- Yeah, I think it's a lot less to do with them needing a break and more with them saying, can we let the crowd work this out of its system and actually pay attention to us? Yeah.
0: I definitely have issue with the crowd here. Mm -hmm. To be fair to them, put it up in their shoes, though. Because they basically had to sit and watch a screen, and they had to watch that hardcore match we just watched.
1: Mm -hmm. And if they were doing this in front of the Junkyard Invitational, it might be more forgiving.
0: (laughs) I just mean, I think that does not help a crowd- I they guys sit and watch the screen for 15 plus minutes. Mm-hmm. It should wake them up with DP and canon them coming out. And it eventually does. But yeah, I'm just saying there's certain circumstances. I understand why I, to some me, degree.
1: Let, let me put it this way, because I, I've, you and I have had this discussion on like modern wrestling shows as well, where I get really ticked off at the crowd sometimes on modern wrestling shows because they do the we are awesome and all yeah, this kind of crap
0: frequent uh, enough, but battle.
1: Here's, here's my, my problem with what they're doing it's less that they're not paying attention and more that they are engaging in behavior that are actively disruptive to anyone who is actually trying to pay attention. That's fair. You know, they're chucking That's the beach ball around, they're chanting at random people, they're getting annoyed at security for doing what they're supposed to do to keep the show moving. Yeah. If you are not enjoying the show that you've come to see, there are things that you can do. Number one, walk out. Yeah. You know, if you want to send a strong message to the company that you are not enjoying the show that they have put on, them seeing a heck of a lot of empty chairs all of a sudden is a darn good message. Fair, yeah. But don't start doing things that disrupt the people that are actually enjoying the show.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And
1: I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about people like in the arena. Yeah, yeah. Sitting next to you, trying to pay attention to the action going on in the ring. And you're sitting there chanting at a security guard for taking away a beach ball. That sort of thing is just amazing in this match.
0: Oh, agree. Yeah, not, not good.
1: It's not just the fact that I think that this match is actually quite good and I'm annoyed at them on behalf of the wrestlers in the match, but it's very poor behavior. Yeah, of course. Rant over. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay.
0: The thing that's interesting of the match is because of the length, you get a prolonged section early on where Saturn and Benoit kind of work the heel side of a tag team match. They isolate Canyon and like they work a limb. Yes. It's, it's not bad, but it just feels weird. The faces are doing that. And then you see the heels do it, and you're like, oh, hmm.
1: Yeah, there's, there's some interesting booking decisions in this one, definitely, yeah.
0: We've we discussed it before. That's a tricky thing when booking, especially longer tag matches. How long do you keep faces in control? How long do you keep heels in mm-hmm. control? You go back to the, the two different Outsiders matches from Road Wild and Hog Wild. Yeah. The second one, the one with the Steiners, for me, they definitely draw out A little the, long. Yeah, the, the Scott Steiner apparel bit. In contrast to the Luger and Sting one, where I think that's definitely better done. I think they do a good job here like, as a whole. I like that even other than when they wrestled to sort of wait for crowd issues to wear down, there's always something new happening. In contrast to that very first match where the cat runs out of moves and starts kicking, kicking again and again and again. More kicks. Everyone involved has a fairly varied amount of offense. Which isn't nice. <laughs> i say it's definitely a good showcase for Saturn as well. Like, it gets oh, longer... Yeah a moment to shine here as well, which I liked. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the finish is, it's WCW in 1999. I expect 8 million things to happen at the end. The fact there's two ref bumps is a little absurd. One, <laughs> well, there's the part where the ref, they ask the ref to check the time so they can be distracted. Really, ref? <laughs> Were you bored yesterday? They, ha- they have fun with the tag format, but they definitely draw it out a little bit too long, I think. Bad crowd aside.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a really, really great match in here. Uh You can definitely see that in the amazingly intense opening minutes and the similarly intense and complex closing minutes and the crispness and precision of the moves as well as the well-plotted tag work. It just suffers for two things. Firstly, it's about 23 minutes long and it just feels a little too long. Yeah. It loses momentum not because the action ever really slows down but just because it keeps going and going. You keep getting swells in the emotion and energy of the match but they don't actually resolve yeah, because there's still 10 or 15 minutes left. Mm-hmm. So they kind of peter out, and it gets a little harder to stay fully invested as the match goes on. It does maintain itself a lot better than other matches might because, as you noted, there's three men on, on the triad side rather than two, so they can change up the action quite frequently. Yeah, But it still just feels like it drags a bit in the middle. That probably contributes to and is exacerbated by problem number two, the crowd. Yeah. They just kind of decide to do everything but pay attention to the match for a large portion of it, dragging down the atmosphere of what must be said is a good, energetic fight, even if it is a bit overlong. The wrestlers repeatedly clearly just pause to let the crowd get something out of their system, but by the end of the match, they're just going ahead regardless of whether folks are watching, which is probably the right call. Yeah, This was still a fun and good match, just with little editing, it could have been great. It's a four-binder match that should have been three.
0: Yeah, I think it speaks to an overall time management issue with the show. Because, like, they book a three-minute match with Van Hammer and Rick Steiner. Not that he won a ten-minute Van Hammer match, obviously, but somewhere between three and ten maybe would be good.
1: And Again, the David Flair one is about the same one. Also, yeah. yeah.
0: They seem to run their promo content and video content longer. And they gotta hit this set deadline. A set time. It's supposed to be this long, or it's not official show, I guess. So then they get to this match. Like, well, how much time's left in the whole show? Okay, so I got to work another five more minutes.
1: Yeah, it feels like they put a lot on this match. We're doing a bunch of, of short stuff because we're not sure about being able to give a longer match to the folks involved for reasons of experience or uh, plot or you know what have you. Yeah. So um, you guys need to work quite a lengthy tag match. Yeah. Because there's only so much that we can do with stretching the uh, video packages out until people just get tired and walk away. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, It is still a good match. Oh, yeah. It's just... You can definitely tell that it's a little longer than it should be. Yeah, it's it's hard to put into words how it feels long because it's not the usual thing. Like you said, that it feels like they had a timer and they they booked for the timer. Yeah. It feels like all the action is legitimate. It just feels like they put in these 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 upsurges that would normally lead to a resolution, and they don't. Yeah, and to a point, that's good because it plays with your expectations. But after a few of those happen, you're like, okay, you you guys just aren't doing an ending yeah yeah fortunately right about the time where i think i was actually commenting to you oh this one feels quite long is when they actually do start to move to the ending Mm -hmm. so it's not over by a lot no no a little little touch of let's let's pull it back a little
0: yeah so at the next show road wild ben wow at this point is now the u.s champion thankfully i've taken off a david flair will be challenged for his title by ddp which was definitely a hype one of that show. If I remember. Oh, yeah. By, yeah. Yes. By a mile.
1: I remember being so glad that match existed.
0: <laughs> yeah. As far as the tactiles go, they would remain on the waist of Canyon and Bigelow, who in that show work a straight two on two match, because DP's obviously busy, where they would be towned by Harlem Heat for the titles.
1: We cut to a video package covering the build up to the boxing match Piper versus Bagwell, refereed by Judge Mills Lane. Lane, in a promo, does a good job of ignoring a jerk fan pointing a laser pointer at him, but mixes up the location of the match, at first saying California, before quickly correcting to Florida.
3: Your Honor, I'm going to be there. I've heard a lot of crap from you. I've heard a lot of trash talking. If you want to get it on, that's my way. I've had a lot of crazy fights, a lot of crazy cases, and I'll unicate this one too. So, Mr. Piper, if you and Mr. Bagwell are going to get it on, let's tee it up and get it on in on Sunday in California and Florida.
0: They could have cut that. All right, all right. but you think you have
1: to. Then WSW just abruptly cuts the video package again mid-sentence as Michael Buffer is in the ring. It's uh, less surprising to see Buffer doing the intros for two matches on this show since one of them is a boxing match after all. Yeah. So, our seventh match is Buff Bagwell versus Rowdy Roddy Piper with Ric Flair in a boxing match. Referee for this one is Judge Mills Lane.
0: 1999 was the year of Face Buff Bagwell. Heaven help us. <laughs> Betrayed by both Steiner brothers, he had become a face to challenge the rule of Flair and Piper, who at one point were feeding with each other over the presidency. But then, when Bagwell feared and accidentally cost Piper the presidency, Piper turns heel on Bagwell and joined with Flair because logic. The challenge for the boxing match would come via Piper. The idea being kayfabe that he has actual boxing experience, albeit not as a pro, but as an amateur. And of course, he had a boxing match, not a good boxing match, but a boxing match at WrestleMania 2. So any chance we can reference WEF slash WE material in this company, the better.
1: Mm-hmm. Buff Bagwell also has uh, amateur boxing experience.
0: That's true. The thing that slightly destroys kayfabe is the timing of how they did the announcements. Flair and Piper are in the ring, and they announce bringing this boxing match because Piper is, you know, they'll say undefeated or some nonsense. He's obviously lost via disqualification. Trust me too. In a boxing match,
1: he he actually does a wrestling move in that match, a body slam, and gets DQ'd for it because it's a wrestling move and it's a boxing match. Yeah. So it makes sense.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. You can't have those in, ros- in boxing matches. Yes. No. So immediately after making this announcement, J.J. Dillon comes out and says, well, if you have a boxing match, I have the perfect guy for it. And sends out Mills Lane.
1: Who just happens to be there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Mills Lane, he, he, he often visits Nitro, every Nitro show in case they need him.
1: <laughs> He's been campaigning to be a WSW referee for the entire time, but Nick Patrick's been holding him back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Dare we get a Mills Lane-Nick Patrick match on pay-per-view? <laughs> As the show is, has shown, they will book worse things.
1: I was going to say, genuinely, do you just almost have a morbid curiosity of how that would have gone?
0: I do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't mention Mills Lane's greatest credential. He is also the referee from Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV. Yes. Honestly, people of my generation, especially people that didn't follow boxing, that's what I think of him as, as the, sorry, Deathmatch guy. I, and it's not an insult. Actually, he yeah, was a really popular show It was show a popular show, yeah. Yeah, yeah and he was, he was a good part of it. His, <laughs> his sort of gravelly...
1: Let's get down!
0: <laughs> yeah, his, his gravelly voice and his just demeanor really worked for as silly as that show got with the claymation and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, as highlighted by the video package, Buck Bagwell pinned Ric Flair. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> it's the thing that happens.
1: Buffer does our introductions, informing the crowd that this match will be like no other. I mean, no other on a wrestling show, maybe. Yeah. Only one man can possibly referee it, apparently. Judge Mills Lane. Little known fact, there are no other boxing referees. Lane does every match just in a variety of masks.
0: I wondered that. I thought they all (laughs) sounded similar.
1: Lane enters to what I assume was the theme for his TV show, dressed in his judge robes, and gets big cheers. Tony goes over Lane's history, noting that before he was a judge and boxing referee, he was a boxer himself. Heenan adds that when he was four years old, he was a kid. Yeah. Dead silence. I assume (laughs) because Tony has muted his microphone to cover bursting out laughing. Yeah, probably. You legitimately do not hear him speak again until Roddy Piper has entirely finished his entrance alongside Ric Flair. Mm -hmm. Not a whisper from him, and Heenan is still talking.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Bagwell is out next. He has a boxing robe made for the match, featuring his own image, and one and two painted on his gloves. There's a good pun sign in the crowd. Buffy the Vampiper Slayer.
0: Ah uh, yeah. I'll take it.
1: Buffer introduces him as ready to show the world another facet of his combat readiness. You should go talk to former Airborne Ranger Perry Saturn, Buff.
0: <laughs> yeah, right?
1: It was, by the way, hard to stop myself from writing the wrong name in a sequence involving Buff Bagwell and Michael buff Yeah.
0: <laughs> this match is just too buff.
1: It occurs to me that this is probably the first and only time Bagwell had his match introduced by Buffer.
0: Uh, yeah, probably.
1: Buff gets a microphone and says, Roddy and Flair double team and triple team whenever they can. Apparently one has mastered ninja duplication. Yeah. He calls out his corner person. Judge Judy Bagwell. Okay, I get the Judge Judy reference, which I'm sure Lane loved Judge Judy being a competing show to his own, but Flair is Piper's corner man, not Lane. Yeah. So shouldn't it be like Nature Girl Judy Bagwell?
0: Uh, yeah. (laughs) Former tag champion.
1: (sighs) Judy comes out wearing a t-shirt with some absolutely awful art of her and buff. He is drawn like Perry Saturn with hair. Yeah. Yeah. And she is drawn like the leprechaun from that horror series.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see that.
1: She's even drawn wearing Buff's top hat, which only strengthens the comparison. Yeah. She trips at the end of the entrance ramp, but thankfully catches herself. Heenan jokes that she forgot to tie her shoes. (laughs) Flair gets a microphone and tells Bagwell that no one will think any less of him for quitting now. He can go back and apologize and it'll all be accepted. Buff tells him to rewind the tape three weeks ago to where he took the blockbuster and woos. Referee Mills Lane will now give the instructions.
3: All right, get over here. Come on. All right, go look. Hey. 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 All right, and we're going through all the crap and all the instructions. I expect a tough, clean fight. Protect itself at all times. Any questions here? Here. Let's get it on.
1: Let's get it on. <laughs> you want to give uh, Judge Mills Lane?
2: Let's get on!
1: Yeah, that's pretty good, too. Buffs bothered to get a boxing outfit, while Piper is just in his normal wrestling gear with boxing gloves. Kind of looks weird. It does, yeah. Round one. Piper lands rapid punches and taunts Bagwell, but gets slugged in the chin. They trade blows, and Piper knocks Bagwell down with a right hook for zero. Don't know why I didn't count there, but Lane, I'm sure, knows more about boxing refereeing than I do. Yeah. Bagwell lands solid hits, but as the round ends, Piper sneaks in a headbutt. Lane sends them to their corners. Tony notes Flair spraying something on Piper's gloves.
0: After the last three years, all I can think of is the little bottles of hand sanitizer.
1: (laughs) Definitely, yeah. Round two. Piper hits Buff in the face, and Buff's eyes get irritated by whatever's on Piper's gloves. Tony theorizes it's red hot. Mm -hmm. Which he says wrestlers use all the time backstage, which... Seems like an unsafe working environment.
0: I think the idea is it heats up, like, helps you more limber is the idea of that. Oh,
1: is that? Oh, I thought he meant, like, red hot like the hot sauce.
0: No, no, no. (laughs) Oh, okay. It's like icy hot, the thing that...
1: Oh, oh, okay. Gotcha.
0: It It creates circulation, yeah.
1: Gotcha. Flair wipes the gloves clean to hide the cheating. Judy tries to clear Buff's eyes with her sponge, but Piper easily beats him up and floors him with a right hook for three. Buff manages to reverse Piper into a corner and land rapid punches to knock him down for six. Piper lands punches as the round ends. Lane, oddly, slaps Buff's butt to get him to move to his corner.
0: He's just a big fan, you say.
1: I guess. (laughs) Lane checks on Buff's eyes and goes over to check on Flair. Flair argues with the crowd. Round three. Piper attacks before the bell, so Judy bites his ear for the obligatory bite fight reference, then slaps a bucket on his head. Buff lands a right hook on Bucket-Headed Piper, Dexon entering Flair, and hits Piper with famous boxing finishing move, the Buff blockbuster, and pins him? Yeah. For the three count and the win?
0: <laughs> That's the right tone for that, yes.
1: Judy stops Flair from entering. Presumably, he was trying to remind Judge Mills Lane that this is a boxing match and pinfalls are not a thing. <laughs> Judy chases legendary multi-time world champion Ric Flair around the ring and splashes water from a bucket at him. Heenan notes Piper was cheated. So what, says face announcer Tony Schiavone, pointing out that cheating basically happens all the time in wrestling. Tony ironically says this was Justice You Can Trust from Judge Mills Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on this?
0: Honestly, it's funny. So I went to this show, remembering the one terrible match we've talked at length, and I remember thinking this was not good either. I will say I kind of enjoyed it to a point. <laughs> First round really shows you that even though none of them are really blocking or actually doing evasive defense like you do in actual boxing, Piper is clearly the more experienced boxer, so even though Youth is on Buff's side by quite a bit at this point, he's not as strong because he's just not hitting as quickly and as, as often as Piper is. So then they introduced the whole thing with the messing with his eyes, with the spray. Now you break sympathy for Buff, so... Either you think he would be the stronger person because he's younger or more youthful and more fit. Now you've turned that around. And then they pretty much just crap the bed. Yeah. You get the biting, you get the bucket. I also love a lot of, okay, so put a bucket on a guy's head, hit him with the boxing glove on your hand. That would hurt even less than being punched with the boxing glove, no?
1: I mean, yes, but that is something that's done in a lot of films, so I'll give them a pass on that bit. I have definitely seen that idea before in comedies.
0: No, I, I know, I know. But they're going for, like, look how legit this combat is with this boxing. Yeah, it, it,
1: the third round, as you said, completely craps the bed.
0: Yeah, they go full cartoon. <laughs> to a point, you could be a buyer that if they did a like, prolonged rep distraction. But then, of course, you have Buff go the second round, but his blockbuster. Wearing boxing gloves which makes the movie hard to do. Yeah. So you can't grip or anything. And then Mosley like, sees him go for a pin, kind of shrugs inwardly, and count to three.
1: The boxing referee counts a wrestling pinfall. He does, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> what is this company?
0: Yeah. Again, I could appreciate as a general thing, they kept the round nice and short. There were two-minute rounds. They tell a decent story. It's just the last part is just so dumb and so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, okay, so if they found a way to do this where it's Buff Bagel versus Ric Flair in a boxing match. And to really stack the odds against him, you make the referee, Roddy Piper, arguing that the only one that could call a boxing guy between two wrestlers is the guy who's done both. Yeah. That works in storyline. Mm-hmm. And so, and then he you give us a pinfall. I mean, obviously, other issues evolve, but it's different than having, going your way to hire an actual boxing ref, and then I've got a pinfall.
1: Yes, yeah, it is so, so bizarre.
0: I don't think it exists, but I really hope there's footage where they're talking about like laying out this out two Mills Lane, like yeah. Then Buff does move, and you have to pin. It's like, like what?
1: You know that? You know that's not a thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I I think I'm in general agreement. I I thought the actual boxing was okay. Yeah. They kept punches flowing pretty well. They had an interesting little subplot with the substance on the gloves. It didn't make famous boxing ref Judge Mills Lane look very good with blatant cheating that happens on his watch, but. He's yeah. okay with it. So fine. I thought both of them did a good job of making their punches look pretty good. Yeah. You can tell that uh, Bagwell has actual boxing experience. It is apparently debatable whether Piper actually does or not. Yeah. But at the very least, he's done this type of match before. Yeah. They both have an idea of how a boxing match should go. Yeah. At least in a cinematic sense. Yeah. Yeah. It is plotted backwards, though. <laughs> yes. Which we've said multiple times tonight. Yeah. Buff really should dominate round one. Uh Uh-huh. Because Piper is going to then cheat in round two, and that will make it more of a turning point. Yeah, sure. But Piper has quite a strong round one as well. You kind of question why he needs to cheat in round two. Yeah. The real problem, of course, is the ending. Yeah. Not only is there blatant and ridiculous cheating from Judy Bagwell in the beginning of the third round, the match ends with a buff blockbuster and a three count, which is not how boxing matches end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At WrestleMania 2, Piper lost a boxing match by doing a wrestling move. Here, Buff won by doing one. Mm -hmm. How did this manage to make less sense than the WrestleMania 2 match?
0: It's amazing, isn't it?
1: I would even maybe have accepted Lane not seeing the blockbuster and just counting Piper down for 10, assuming that he'd been punched. But the pin was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I can't believe that they booked that and all of them went, yeah, that seems fine and logical. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. What's amazing, too, if you look at his, like, his whole career, Piper was very good, whether you agree with it or not, of putting some situations where he's not pinned a lot in wrestling matches. Mm-hmm. When he showed up to fight Hogan in 96, he's, he's the only guy I've never beaten. That's, of course, a lie, because Piper has lost a bunch of matches via count out of his qualification.
1: Right. But what he means is you've never actually pinned yeah, him. Yeah, yeah.
0: And that, that's why that, that's okay. But Yeah. yeah. So, as when Statsman said, they said that in his WWF career, at least before this, obviously he came back later, Piper's only pinned three times on camera. Wow. So, half-show matches don't count. And two of those were matches that they only released on VHS on, through the Coliseum video stuff. So, the only match he actually loses via pinfall on camera in WWF, officially, is WrestleMania 8, him and Bret Hart. Gotcha. Then you bring him to WCW, and again, they book him fairly well. Like, the only that, that pinned him is Hogan in that second match. They kind of dropped it a little bit. Like, he's pinned by Scott Hall early in 99, but... But it's just crazy to think of the smallest of people that got to pin Piper in matches. Even this weird boxing match that ended up being a pinfall. Here's Buff Bagwell. Well,
1: it's, And it's weirder that he has a pinfall in a situation where he definitely should not have a pinfall.
0: No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, right. if you're
1: a guy who's famously defensive of being pinned in, in his career, then why would you allow a pin in a match where pinfalls are not a thing? Yeah. It's so strange. Again, just have him knocked out by the blockbuster and then counted out for a normal boxing 10 count. I'm cool with it. Sure, yeah. But the, the pinfall is astonishingly bizarre.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a bizarre little cherry on top of whatever the hell this match is.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a shame because the first two rounds actually are pretty nice. Like they've done a lot better with the boxing than I thought they were going to.
0: Yeah, it's important point of greatness scale as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a legit boxing fan you watch the box, you're gonna be like, "Oh, they're not blocking and they're not dodging." Right. They're yeah, not doing yeah. Any
1: of this. this is definitely cinematic boxing, not real. Yeah, boxing. This,
0: yeah. This yeah. Is, and this is like wrestling boxing. Yeah. As well as that statement is, but yeah, it's just it's just bizarre that they could go in really well and then that. Yeah. So on the very next Nitro. Ernest Miller is bragging about how great he is after he beat Disco Inferno, which would bring out Buff Bagwell to set up the match that we all know and did not love on Road Wild. Oh, man. Again, he's pinned Ric Flair and Roddy Piper in the last month. He's like, now I want to fight Ernest Miller.
1: Go for the top.
0: Yeah, exactly. Nowhere to go but up from Piper. It's bizarre.
1: Maybe oh. he got confused and thought that he was in a karate championship.
0: Oh, Okay. As far as Piper himself, he would be off TV a bit after this, understandably after losing via pinfall at a boxing match. <laughs> they would bring him back a few months later, where they would make the whole story that his contract is controlled by the powers that be, setting up his uh, interesting, I guess the word for it, contribution to the Stargate 99 main event.
1: The the only time that John was ever angry at Roddy Piper, yes. <laughs> I
0: know, it's, it's amazing. You ruined Piper for John. I can't believe he did that, WCW. <laughs>
1: We cut to another video package, yet another video package, Yeah, building up the main event, which features Savage demonstrating, with the aid of gorgeous George and Medusa, how he would pin Kevin Nash, Nash challenging Sid, who says he will start with and end with Nash. Sure. All right, yeah. Savage getting involved, Sting making the save, Piper and Flair setting up Savage and Sid versus Nash and Sting, Nash claiming Sting drove the Hummer. Flair asking Savage and Sid to work with him to beat Nash in a match Nash has versus David Flair. Nash saying if he wins, he gets Tori Wilson for 72 hours, which is not okay. Nope. And Nash stealing a taser from David Flair and using it on everybody, then taking gorgeous George and Tori Wilson via her walking along. But we see probably not actually Sting sitting in a Hummer. But then we cut to definitely not actually Sting beating up Nash during another match. Looks like Dale Torborg the demon in the Sting getup, I guess. That was an overly long video package. But thank goodness it was the only long, boring video package tonight. Oh wait, it wasn't.
0: <laughs> uh, l- oh, one more detail add to that, by the way. The initial Hummer angle began with a be white Hummer attacking Kevin Nash. The Hummer that Fake Sting is sitting in, they see him in the window. Yeah. A black hummer.
1: Yes. At least this video package did not unceremoniously cut off. Yeah. They managed that at least. <laughs> Somewhat justifiably not included, by the way, the infamous bit with Savage apparently legitimately slapping Tori Wilson Uh when she accidentally got the giggles during an intense confrontation from the July 5th, 1999 Nitro. Somewhat surprisingly, that's still on the Peacock version of Nitro, by the way. Yeah, it is. Two hours, seven minutes, 42 seconds in. Mm -hmm. Just kind of thought that they would have cut that after some of the other things they've cut or edited. I'm not campaigning one way or the other for for cuts on old shows, but- it just is odd, given some of the other things they've edited on WCW shows, that that one is still in there. Yeah. So our final match is the Macho Man, Randy Savage, and the Millennium Man, Sid Vicious, with Gorgeous George, Miss Madness, and Medusa, versus Big Sexy, Kevin Nash, and I don't need a nickname, I'm Sting, in a tag match for Nash's WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Referee for this one is Nick the Mustache Patrick. <laughs>
0: um, isn't it the icon, Sting?
1: Yeah, probably. I don't think he ever actually calls himself (laughs) that. No, he does That's the thing. Everyone does that. Tony does it. Yeah, everyone else calls him the icon or the franchise. That's true. But I don't think Sting ever calls himself anything but Sting.
0: No, it's true. World champion Kevin Nash is targeted by the duo of Randy Savage and Sid Vicious, known as Team Madness, or Team Savage. They can't make up the mind. Personally, Team Madness sounds better. Yeah. Because it connects to his valets that are already Team Madness, or just making Team Madness bigger. Quite literally with Sid Vicious in this case. Softball player Sid Vicious. Yes. This would be one of those stories where all the heels are working together because I guess those are all heels. They would try to help David Flair, have it help us be world champion in a bizarre setup which will lead to the tasering and kidnapping whole thing. And yes, this is the origin of the Send for the Man clip, which is Randy Savage running back and slapping Tori Wilson when he's supposed to be scared because he's yelling at gorgeous George. She has the giggles, and he just smacks the crap out of her. Which is, again, not okay. Not but, okay. No. Yeah. But is notable clip because it's it's so prevalent. Yeah. Because it was used in. Botcha it's Mania. used in
1: botchamania to represent other cases where someone has an inappropriate emotion during a right. during a scene.
0: It's more like the running up and yelling, and everything, not the slap. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, again, that's it's not a good no,
0: thing no. That. This is not the only time they would involve. The kidnapping of Gorgeous George in an angle, which is uh Yeah. A thing. But yeah, let's let's just get to the tag match where somehow someone could pin their not legal partner, well also legal. Or vice versa.
1: Michael Buffer does the introductions again and claims this is the first time a world champ has put his title on the line in a tag match. It's not the last, sadly. No. Buffer again notes that Nash's partner, Sting, could win the title off of him. How? <laughs> How? <laughs> Please draw me a graph. I would love it. Screw it. Let's get ready to rumble. (laughs) Savage and Sid enter to Macho's horrid 1999 theme with Medusa, Miss Madness, and Gorgeous George. Sting enters next, then Nash enters separately, so NWO Wolfpack theme count, one.
0: Now, what's interesting, though, is their themes are separate, but the video playing on the walls is a mix of the two of them.
1: Oh, interesting. So they just kind of did one video, but separate themes. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. and it's not like highlights them as a team or anything it's just like here's sting in the bottom left and nash to the top right and sir moves around
1: okay there's a sign in the crowd reading nash sting beat the maideness mm-hmm. they switch the e and the n spell check your signs folks
0: <laughs> yeah right
1: gorgeous george removes some sunglasses that she'd been wearing revealing a shiner I'm sure that an abusive relationship angle will be handled with the seriousness it deserves by WCW. Of course. Sting and Savage start, but Savage notices Gorgeous George going to stand behind Nash and goes to retrieve her. Nash gets in the way and Sting beats Savage up, then Sid, including kicking him up into the turnbuckle in defiance of all known laws of physics. Sid finally stuns him with kind of a clothesline punch. And Sid and Savage trade off wearing Sting down, distracting the ref to cheat with occasional sneaky help from Miss Madness and Medusa, including a kidney punch from Medusa that hits so lightly Sting doesn't even notice to sell. Yeah, yeah. Sting eventually blocks a Savage punch and fires back, dropkicks him, and tags Nash. Nash decimates Savage and Sid and emphatically tags Sting, which Tony says shows trust. Sting almost immediately sets up the Stinger splash against the barricade that people nearly always dodge. And shockingly, Savage dodges. So Sting eats Barricade. Maybe shouldn't have shown as much trust, Nash. Yeah, yeah. Back to Sid, Savage, Miss Madness, and Medusa, teaming up to beat Sting up. Something comes spinning into the ring like a frisbee, but it's rectangular. I never got a good look at what it actually was.
0: Yeah, I didn't hear that either.
1: Sid puts on a rear chin lock, and Patrick checks Sting. Sting's arm stays up on the third try, which is good for Sid, since if he beat Sting, he wouldn't win the title, correct?
0: Yes, I think.
1: Yeah, why, why would you try to beat Sting, Sid? Yeah. Sting elbows free, but he and Sid collide, so Sting can dazedly fall and headbutt Sid in the crotch in Sting's favorite 1990 spot. hmm Sting makes the tag. Nash runs wild on Savage and Sid and sets for the jackknife on Sid, but Savage breaks it up. Everybody into brawl, including Medusa and Miss Madness, so Sting does a double noggin knocker on them, which shocks Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> he gives a really big reaction to Whoa! it. Whoa! Stinger splashes on Sid, Medusa, Miss Madness, who had clearly forgotten her spot and had to be directed to the corner by Savage, and finally Savage and Nash, as Savage was punching Nash in the corner. Sid chokeslams Sting to put a stop to the Stinger splashes, but Nash knocks Sid out of the ring. Nash sets for the jackknife powerbomb on Savage, but Gorgeous George sneaks in and punches Nash in the crotch. Twice. Yeah. She either misses the first time or hit too lightly for him to notice the first time.
2: Yeah, I noticed that as well. Very funny. Yeah. She
1: does the really big, exaggerated one, too, so you cannot possibly miss that yeah. she's doing it, unless you're the person that she's doing it on and she doesn't make any kind of contact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sid slams Nash, and Savage goes up top for the big elbow for the three count and the win. Generous of Sid there, since that won Savage the world title. Savage celebrates with the belt, but lets Sid hold it so Savage can lift George on his shoulders, and Sid gives her the belt to hold. Thoughts on this one?
0: It doesn't suck, which is a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because we've had, uh, let's say, some bad made events recently.
1: Yeah, especially last year.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. So that's a positive. I think my issue of this match is unfortunately when it takes place. If somehow circumstances align and if we have this exact same match, even if it has the silly tag team match with the World Title line thing, if this is 1997, it's that version of Randy Savage and that Kevin Nash, I think this would be really, really good. Yes. Then, unfortunately, as we covered, Ray Savage's knees were just a shot to all hell, unfortunately. He worked really, really hard doing all those dives for like 10, 15 years. And he had them fixed twice, especially after that one Hogan match. Or excuse me, as a Sting match, and then also a Hogan match. So he just could not do what he could do before as we covered. And it's not a knock on him. It's just a fact. It's mm-hmm. fortunately, his body was just wearing down. And that's just something that happens to you. Because thing is that he just didn't really work as much in 99 as he did in 97. So, for instance, going back to '96, Bash of the Beach, Nash is clearly trying to impress, you know, like we said, that match is designed to show why him and Scott Hall got all the big money. And like, they had this big contract, mm-hmm. they got you know, the favorite nation
1: clause and all that.
0: He's really trying to form here. In 99, it's, just, it's not to say that he can't work, it's just he just chose not to work, though. Yeah, there are there
1: are exceptions. Like, I remember the DDP versus Nash match from, I think, Slamboree 99 being yes. quite good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a, a definite difference in his yeah. ring style in 99, I think.
0: For, well, for better or for worse, he realized that I'm getting paid, let's say, a million and a half dollars. It might have been two even at this point. Whether I work 20-minute house show matches and work prolonged matches on pay-per-view, or if I just don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not paid extra for working harder, so... I can't necessarily judge you for that. You judged the company that allowed that to happen. Yeah, and, yeah. And didn't adjust for that.
1: It's it's almost more an indictment of WSW for somehow letting that happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah.
0: a very lax mindset. What's telling about this match for me, I went back and watched it, is that the only one to really do wrestling moves in the match is Sid Vicious. Mind you, they're not complex wrestling holds, but everyone else is punch, 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 running clothesline, line elbow, Stinger Splash is still a strike, you know, drop yeah. kick.
1: Nash does have his sidewalk slam, but Nash has roughly four or five moves in the entire match, so.
0: It's just weird in a match with Sting and Ray Savage, no less. He doesn't do, like, until he does the elbow drop at the end, he doesn't do anything other than punch and kick and mm-hmm. clothesline. He does those well, but it's just, it's weird that that's just not, not yeah. what he does anymore, I guess. So the whole thing is a build-up. So they try to trick him not trusting Sting. Still interesting, even after the blatantly obvious fake stings there. And you see the real sting at the same time. He had this match he doesn't trust him until halfway through. I'm like, really? You you know he didn't betray you. That's just so bizarre.
1: It's fascinating, by the way, that Kevin Nash believes in a fake sting. Yeah. Kevin Nash, who was fake sting himself at least once.
0: At least, yeah. <laughs> Friend with the fake sting in Scott Hall, and also at least once.
1: Yeah working
0: in the NWO who hired a fake sting.
1: Yeah. More than almost anyone else on this show, you Kevin Nash should know that there is a large possibility that if a Sting shows up and does something that seems out of character for Sting. Yeah. It's probably not Sting.
0: <laughs> yeah. The for, yeah, the first guy to the CD of a fake Sting betrayal is the NWO, that yeah. group. Yeah. Arguably him and yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's that makes this doubly strange, yeah.
0: But then they set up the gorgeous Georgia trail and her The execution is that as you noted is not great. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, it's disappointing as a whole for the match, but it's not really terrible. I just I was hoping for more with everyone involved, mm-hmm. but it is what it is.
1: Yeah, action-wise, I thought this was acceptable. It's pretty much a bog standard tag match with these four, performed capably. Sting plays face in peril as well as he usually does, and everybody gets their moments to shine. The problem, though, is how standard this is. Yeah. The story here is that Savage and Sid and somehow impossibly Sting have the chance to win the world title if they pin Nash. Right? Yeah. I'm not missing something there, no, right? No, no. Okay. How much does that affect the storytelling? Not at all. No, none. Savage and Sid seem perfectly happy to beat Sting rather than Nash, and there doesn't seem to be any disagreement or tension about which of them gets to pin Nash like you'd expect with the world title on the line. So just... Sets up for Savage's finisher.
0: I think that you're trying to play the story that Sid really is just like a henchman.
1: Yeah, but it is just like, yeah. you'd expect some small level of tension there, and there's just none.
0: Yeah, like a tease for future storylines, yeah.
1: Sting and Nash, for their part, ignore the nonsensical idea of Sting somehow also being able to win the title off of Nash, and just act like a normal tag team. It's probably the right choice, but it makes all the buildup around that point tonight, of which there was a lot, uh-huh. entirely pointless. Yeah. So it's a decent match, but it needed to be something more for the story to be worth anything.
0: Really, they just needed to make the story as a tag team match. Nash is so upset with everyone involved because he believes fake Sting that he's putting the title in line for his team. So if Sting is pinned, then you can bend Sting to win the world title. Yeah, yeah. That would be fine. It's still a little silly. You know, I don't trust you, but I'll let you be in charge of me having a world champion or not. But it's less dumb than you can also pin me somehow won the match
1: that's the thing like you can definitely do a distrust among the tag team angle without adding that extra yeah gob of crazy
0: <laughs> when he didn't even disappoint halfway through he did says you talked know, about when nash tags in finally and actually works the match he says you know if i were him i wouldn't i'd would never tag in. Let him let would be the sting all day yeah
1: which is a good point yeah yeah if you're if you only lose your title if you are the one that gets pinned why would you tag in yeah that works if you're saying he deeply respects Sting or, or likes him as a friend and therefore doesn't want to just see him get the crap kicked out of him. Yeah, sure. Then that's a noble, I'm coming in yeah. to save my friend, even though it could be a risk to me. Yeah, but, like
0: if, if things have been going well with Scott Hall, for instance, in, real, in his real life and in yeah. his career, to where he was the partner, that'd be an interesting angle.
1: Yeah, they have a deep enough relationship that Nash could be like, wow, I can't let this keep happening to him. Yeah. You know, Hall tagged me. And Hall, yeah, yeah. and you could actually do something there where, like, Hall's like, no, 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 I can, let me, let me do this. And they just keep beating Hall up to torture him.
0: Right. If you want to put a, even a hint of mistrust, do a thing on, like, Nitro or Thunder where Savage goes, you know, would I win the world title off of Nash? I'll give you the first title shot.
1: Yeah. There's definitely ways you can do this admittedly strange way of defending a world title and have some interesting tension or an interesting storyline with it. Yeah. And have it work even with them only being able to win the title off of Nash. Yeah. But it's definitely easier with the other approach you proposed yeah, as yeah. of just if that team loses the title. is all. Yeah,
0: the other, yeah, the other simpler way would maybe if somehow things were reversed and Sting was actually world champion, and plus Sting's the always gullible babyface. Yes. So Sting as world champion goes, you don't trust me, fine. I trust you so much that I'll, I'll put my title line in this tag match. So if you lose, I'll lose the title.
1: You can see that being the Sting personality that, that would that actually do that. True. Yeah, exactly.
0: On the next Nitro, Randy Savage would put an open challenge, challenge anyone to defend my title against, except Big Sexy Kevin Nash. Well, like, he never calls it Kevin Nash, he always says Big Sexy Kevin Nash. I take it in the contract, <laughs> if you don't say Big Sexy, you can't say my name. <laughs> I can see him having that clause. So anyways, yeah, he challenged anyone except Kevin Nash for a title match. Suddenly who comes out, but Hulk Hogan! who had been gone since Spring Stampede, selling the injury in that prolonged 4 minute match. He tries to back out of the match, but of course that doesn't happen. And ultimately, the July 13th Nitro would end with Hulk Hogan, winning the world title off of Randy Savage. Again.
1: Yeah, always seems to happen.
0: It's Spring Stampede 1998 all over again. I'd say this is the worst thing to happen in the world title 1999, but uh, no. <laughs> It will still will be vacated two more times in
1: 1999. Wow. Okay. Plus, we had the uh, finger poke of Doom earlier this year as well. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. My goodness.
0: So, coming out of this match, we would have the singles match between Sting and Sid Vicious, the Millennium Man at Road Wild, which we are mostly split on, though we mostly also kind of agree on it.
1: I think we both agree that it's it's not like an awesome match, no. but how, yeah, I guess like how far down the ladder yeah, does it we, go is, yeah. we've
0: had worse debates over match quality than that one by by yeah, a mile. Yeah. yeah. In contrast, we would get Kevin Nash would turn heel, because of course he has to, to fight Hogan, who in the midst of this run would also fully erase his Hobbit Hogan entity and become the true red and yellow Hulkster, Which I think is also on that same CD. They play like the entire uh, nitro yeah. commentary?
1: I think they do. I think they do on that one, yeah. yeah. That CD is like 50% Nitro commentary, 40% songs that are tangentially connected to wrestling played in their entirety, and 10% entrance themes because you get like a few seconds of each one.
0: Yeah, that's fair. As for Randy Savage, his reward for putting over Hulk Hogan yet again for the world title after winning it would be a match with Dennis Rodman. <laughs> yep. Oh, that was bad. Thankfully, but also unfortunately, we've already covered that match. Yes, so it's not in our future.
1: That that was awful. Yeah, uh. was. Tony signs off, and Bash of the Beach 1999 is thankfully done. So, overall thoughts on Bash of the Beach 1999?
0: It's a real mixed bag of quality. Unfortunately, it tends to lean more towards the negative than the positive. There's matches that are okay too disappointing to whatever the junk irritational match is. Uh, we've said plenty about how bad that one is. There's matches that have just boggle the mind, like the boxing match and how it fully plays out. Ultimately it's a very aggressive show in the way they like, promote everything. With like the loud music and just action instead of commentary explaining what's going on in stories. Everyone like every looks safe for like one, cuts a pre match promo, which is weird. Yes. And then that face cut the pre-match promo instead that won the time. It's an odd time management show, because they have a bunch of matches that run short. They run these prolonged video packages and promos that don't really add anything or add too much. They just keep going. And then a match that scene that goes stretched for time to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. So far, I think it's the worst bash to the Beach in the series.
1: Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. Yeah, this was a very poor showing from WCW, and a massive downgrade from the prior shows in this series. Obviously, the worst part is the Junkyard Invitational, which murders the show and stuffs its corpse into a car crusher. But even leaving that aside, this just is not good. Mm-hmm. The other matches, save for the Soldiers versus the Rednecks and the Triad versus Benoit and Saturn, range from just about acceptable to entirely unnecessary to just plain dumb. Yeah. Plot holes abound, stipulations are abandoned or impossible in the first place, and a boxing match ends with a wrestling pinfall. I'm surprised Judge Mills Lane's head didn't explode. There is good to be found here, but you have to wait through some real 1999 WCW crap to get to it. Mm -hmm. The promos and video packages largely hurt things. The promos mostly just take up time and add nothing in particular to the show, The best are probably Pages or Judge Lane's internet table segment, and the fact that I'm including a boxing ref among the better promos of the night says a lot. Yeah, that's true. The video packages were very long, which badly hurt the show's pacing, and generally could have told their story in a much shorter time with some editing. They were frequently cut off at random points, too, which contributed to the show's sloppy feel. Commentary was better. Tony and Heenan do their usual good job playing off each other and being funny, while still telling the stories of the matches. Their interactions are a bit repetitive at times on this show, like with Tony's occasional, why do you ask me stuff like that, retort. Yeah. But it's also sort of a running gag, it just doesn't always quite land right. Agreed. They're also dragged down by the storylines and matches that they have to support, but that's not their fault. There's only so much you can do to sell the Junkyard Invitational as great, or to build up that Nash's own partner could somehow be legally in at the same time and pin him for the title. No, I will not let that go. Nor should you. It definitely helps that Heenan does quite well at his favorite pastime, trying to get Tony to crack up on camera. uh uh-huh, yeah. Production was highly variable. <laughs> Aside from the aforementioned video package difficulties, cameras missed a number of notable moments in matches tonight, and that's before we consider the Junkyard Invitational, which was filmed outdoors at night with poor lighting and often from a helicopter, ensuring that it was difficult to even see the terrible spots and dull brawling, or even tell who was in the match for that matter. At least the beach set was, again, nice, though it didn't get used in any any matches this year, probably because the hardcore match was in a junkyard. Yeah. I definitely do not recommend watching this one. The couple good matches have their own pretty notable problems, and the rest of the show is at best entirely missable and at worst, well, one of the worst matches I have yet witnessed. Mm -hmm. The series is drowning, and the Baywatch lifeguards are nowhere to be seen. Yeah, that's fair. Match of the night and MVP, then. So, Al, your match of the night?
0: There's really only two matches in contention for match of the night for me. That's the elimination match and the three-on-two tag match. Agreed. There's a lot to enjoy, I think, as a whole package with the elimination match, because it's so quick. But lots lot doesn't make sense. Like, you talk about Chase just dragging up Bray Wynnum and Conan's like, yeah, sure, why not? I'll go, too. I want to lose this match. Might as well. So, in spite of its the flaws, they go to fight against the crowd, or just the time stretched too long. Easy match tonight the night is the Triad versus Benoit and Saturn match. Easy.
1: Yeah, for me, it was between the same two matches. The only two outright good, albeit still flawed matches on this mess. I will also go with the Triad versus Benoit and Saturn. Well, I think the action and flow of the soldiers match is maybe actually a tad better. I struggled with the backwards booking and some strange eliminations. Mm. The Triad match is a little too long, but it makes sense. It has a particularly intense opening and ending. And the three versus two gimmick makes for some really good heel antics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. Okay. MVP?
0: I always usually try to find someone else to highlight in the show, unless there's just someone that's amazingly stand out in the tag match. And to be fair, Ben Wine and Saturday really good. DDP is really good in this match. It'd be easy to give it to DDP, but I want to try and find someone else. For me, I'm going to MVP a little differently.
1: got to go over Silver King.
0: No, I mean, <laughs> sacrificing life and limb in that match would be nice. But no, Um, for me, it's the best part of the second best match of the night. So that is Rey Mysterio
1: in the elimination match. That's entirely fair. He was definitely on the list for me as well, yeah.
0: Well, and he's part of every single pinfall elimination on his side. Yes. They literally could win the match without him.
1: Yeah, he definitely adds a lot of excitement to that match. He's a, He's part of a number of really big spots. Yeah. And nails every one of them, so...
0: Like I said before, they butchered his gimmick and his look, but he's still wearing Mysterio in that silly outfit and no mask, so he's still Mysterio.
1: Well, uh, I am taking what I believe you just identified as the easy way. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I'm going to give this to Paige. Sure. I think all the guys in the uh, Triad versus Benoit and Saturn match do their best in the face of a disinterested crowd. But Paige, in particular, really gave it his all, trying to get the crowd back, and he almost Almost succeeded. Yeah. Besides that, he had some just excellent brawls, some great diving clotheslines. His diamond cutter spots were were excellent. Yeah. And he was clearly having a good time playing a cocky and self-assured heel. Mm-hmm. I remember that from uh, Road Wild 99 as well. That was a reason oh, I yeah. really loved his performance there. He's just clearly having a ball. Mm-hmm. I will uh, say runner-up is Bam Bam Bigelow for being willing to do his moonsault for a deeply undeserving audience.
0: Yeah, and he was really good in the match as a whole as well. Mm,
1: Yeah. And that wraps up our review of Bash of the Beach 1999. If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can find us on Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. A link will be available in the episode description. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about each show as we go through. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, or Pandora. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a rating or review, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures, and to Gina Trujillo for our logo. Next up, Bash of the Beach 2000. It ain't no picnic. Double negative, so that means it is a picnic. I'll bring sandwiches, Al, you bring the chips. Agreed, yeah. I, I assume Sting will bring the soda. This is around the time he had that amazing Sprite commercial.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Get some Surge as well, yeah.
1: This is Bob Moore for Alec Pridgeon signing off. Good night, everybody. Happy wrestling. Back in, Saturn Top Rope Splash and Benoit Swan Dive Hell Sw- at hellbutt i think i've made that flub before and commented that that would be a great move name
2: yeah yeah